Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. It's been a while since we talked to Wolf Brigade's Greg Walsh, but we are super excited to have him back on the show. And if you missed him the first time, you can get to know the down and dirty beginnings of his involvement in strength and conditioning and the start of his flagship gym in Rochester, New York. Here it is, episode 592. We got a fun episode today welcoming back greg walsh and greg i caught up with alex from sorenex a, a recent conference and he ex- he asked me if i knew you and i was like actually yeah he was on an episode of power athlete radio way back episode yeah. 184 uh, i've known greg a long time yes yeah and even johnny even longer, even longer than, than that, that. yeah jeez. Yeah, yeah. and and he shared some of the mace stuff and then drop your name and share that you're going to be speaking at Summer Strong this year. I don't know if I'm revealing anything, but at the same time, bit, like, that's okay. dude, that was, that was, I feel, in my opinion, one of our first real guests on Power Athlete Radio. Because you had so much to share and outside the realm of strength and conditioning, while you have roots in strength and conditioning and the origins of this, which we're going to get into here today, it was such a breath of fresh air that there is a person like you that exists because you gave us your book as well. And that was uh, an interesting, so that was the theft of age and you've written more since then. So a lot to explore today. And I want to kick it off with John's first Appreciate history meeting man. you. Oh man. I mean, this goes back like, I mean, dude, we're like, you know, almost probably a decade and a half when uh, you were doing the CrossFit shirt steal. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yep. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I met uh, Greg when we first got involved in CrossFit and, you know, like a, a smart, enterprising individual who kind of bought in uh, or sorry, did not bought in, but uh, believed some of Glassman's uh, open market rhetoric. And, you Man, know, like, I, I mean, I, I, I admit to buying in. I, I, I don't like to admit it, but I will admit but, it. Uh, but like it, it was convincing because I bought in on it, too. I mean, this idea of like a free market and like, you know, this libertarian idea and like, you know, this collective uh, group of individuals that could make a business and. You know, and then like grow and, and I mean, I, you know, he pitched me on the exact same thing and much like you just kind of, you know, all of a sudden you end up with a cease and desist and this weird deal. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, we've already talked about this. No, and everything fucking changed. And you're like, fuck. Well, the, if I could put one positive spin on that, it, it, it helped me engineer the concept of connected autonomy. So like you can be connected to a lot of things with a lot of great people, but you have to remain your own or eventually someone within that system is going to crush you. And, yeah. and so, you know, um, cross the football, look at cross the yeah. football. I, yeah. mean, power, I mean, that was, yeah. Power that, athlete that, was, was the autonomous version of that cross of football. And every day it made me nervous that I was building brand loyalty into a brand that hated me and wanted no part to do with me. And it was this weird tumultuous like relationship where you're like, wait a minute, how did I go from being like helping the cause to like, protecting the brand against me because I'm just trying to do a good job. Well, and I mean, we're, we're jumping right into deep water right away, but from, <clears throat> from my perspective, CrossFit football, it, it was and always will be the best training that CrossFit had ever given ever. I'm not sure if they could ever even circle back and improve on that. Um, but it really did become obvious to those who were looking a little bit below the surface that you went from being like a, like a, like a poster boy to a pariah in a pretty fucking short, pretty short amount of time. Um, and, and that didn't feel good. And it, 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 it sharpened me up a little bit, but it didn't sharpen me up quite enough. I, I, I still, I still got mowed down in that, res- in that respect, but 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, no, I mean, Greg's idea was was smart. He went in and was like, hey, we're, we're going to, uh, you know, I mean, Greg has a background in skateboarding and uh, punk rock music. And, you know, obviously there's a little bit of straight edge somewhere in there and those tattoos, I'm sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. BMX and, and all, all that stuff kind of kind of built the framework and then and then martial arts and fitness followed it up. Yes. Uh, Southern California. I mean, so it's it's familiar to me because uh, I, I grew up in that exact same kind of time. So uh, but then, you know, uh, gets involved, starts his deal called CrossFit shirts where he's printing shirts for all the affiliates, which was such a important thing. Because one, you know, like, uh, I mean, like uh, the T-shirt was elemental into cross currency. Well, it, it was currency. It was I mean, currency. people show That's up, exactly they, right. they buy T-shirts. It was like a, a, a way to like establish who you are, that you've traveled, that you know people. And there was this weird, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, currency is probably the best term for it. There was a currency in those T-shirts. And Greg came in and these affiliates were uh, extremely unbusiness savvy and came in and was like, hey, I'll, I'll print these. I'll do this. You know, believe me, we'll make a business out of this. And uh, got the blessing of, you know, of... Uh, <laughs> the powers that be and then uh somehow like you know which is so typical of that that whole time with glassman like hey do this everything's going great and then like these midnight paranoia and then there's no excuse no rhyme or reason for how it ends well yeah and i mean the 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 other thing that we were able to bring to the table in that respect is we, we were the design house for crossfit proper f- for a year or so and and um it was when all they really had was block letters, CrossFit, you know, whatever the sh- back of the shirt said. Um, so, so aesthetically, we helped it improve a lot. But then a, a lot of the affiliates that wanted shirts, I mean, they had a, they had an idea of what they wanted on a shirt. But to even pay a designer separately from printing the shirts, I mean, they would have spent a gigantic amount of money. We knew how small these places were because we were one of them. Sure. And so, but we had this, we had this in-house design team because we were working on the BMX company coalition at the time. And, and we've always had hell on earth, this small brand I've worked on since I was a kid. And, and, you know, so, so we were able to bring a design proficiency to that process that made it work really, really well, really, really cheap for those people. Um, and it was tremendous. I mean, we, we printed shirts for so many affiliates, some of which I even still keep in touch with today. Um, and, and I mean, currency was a, was a, is a really perfect way of describing that. The fact that people could order their own shirts, but then, you know, get one from CrossFit Hawaii and, and CrossFit Alaska and CrossFit whatever. Uh, man, that, that was an awful lot of fun. Um, and and it was the, the mistake was that it was a handshake agreement. Um, and um, man, you know, as, as much as it seemed like that's how CrossFit operated, that is not how CrossFit operated. <laughs> well, I think in the original idea, um, like I think when, you know, like it, it's just like anything. I think sometimes when people have these ideas and, uh, you know, on in their most purest sense, they make a lot of sense. And then as people get into it and start trying to take this idea from whatever it is, this inspiration into a business, now all of a sudden that has to generate revenue and you have people that are depending upon it and this and all of a sudden now it starts kind of like going from an idea into almost like a, a you know, tip of the spear and, and, you know, people get cut. And uh, it was, you know, something at least when I was approached by CrossFit, like I saw the, not necessarily CrossFit HQ, but the, um, like the, like the sea of people that were hungry for information. And people always ask me like, Hey, you know, why did you go work with CrossFit? What was it about? I'm like, it wasn't CrossFit. It was the market. It was the people. That's, I, that's like, right. Like I, I just couldn't believe that there was this deep pool of fucking highly motivated individuals that were one willing to do this type of training, 
but were willing to do it at any cost. And, uh, you know, if it was in a container or a, a carport or a, a small gym in some, you know, uh, you know, low rent district or, you know, uh, some semi-industrial park somewhere with a tire outside. I mean, people were like hungry for fitness. They wanted to lift weights and they were willing to come in and die on that sword a little bit every day. And I remember thinking like, like I've never, like one, I've never seen a market like this. And, no, uh, you know, no. like, in, and, and there never will be a market like, like people that are doing Peloton are at that market. Uh, like the only time I've ever really ever seen it is like maybe within like, like, do you remember like the early days of skateboarding with like uh, skate or die and all those videos and like Tony Hawk and all that. And I remember like our whole deal was to like skate to the, like the, the skate shop so we could get like new stickers for our board. And like yeah. that, like, like it was that kind of thing where, you know, there was like independent and all these different brands. And I just remember being a kid and like skateboarding was so part of the identity and even BMX stuff. But then like all of a sudden like this hits and I'm like, man, like this is crazy. Like if you could, uh, you know, get these people all headed in the right direction, like this thing's unstoppable. And uh, I mean, that's that's the way I felt. You just encapsulated what, what drew me to it in the first place. I mean, we, we were in CrossFit Long Beach. We were we were like number 28 or 38 or something early 2000, 2003 on. Um, and and 2002 is when I first found it, I believe. And and then there was there was still detail orientation. There was still camaraderie, all this kind of stuff. And and. Again, you're the last person I have to tell this. It shifted fast and it it, it eventually pretty quickly turned from something that I really wanted to be a part of because it felt like a counterculture um, to, to really just being a product of primary culture. And and then I started feeling kind that, of dubious. Where did that switch come? And uh, because it was kind of this like weird, uh, like almost like fight club, like, you know, like you got to know the secret handshake. Like I remember us yeah. teaching seminars and driving around neighborhoods, not exactly knowing where the gym is, but being able to find it because we knew what to look for. Like we saw the tire, we saw the people running, like, like there, there was things and we were like, you know, we know there's a CrossFit gym close and we would find yeah, it. Yeah. And it, it was just like this underground fight club thing. And then all of a sudden, like there was a, I don't know if it was the rise of the games or, you know, the commercial aspect or the fact that, you know, Jimmy Letchford started making a bunch of like uh, CrossFit shirts that looked like something out of affliction, which was awful. Um, but uh, like it, it, it was such a weird switch where like, I was attracted to it for the same reason you were. I like the counterculture aspect. It was like, uh, you know, fight club, like, you know, day one, you got to fight kind of a deal. And then it got to this, like, uh, where it was like mainstream and next thing you know, you got South Park making fun of it and you're like, Oh fuck, how do we jump the shark here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, I believe part, part of it is the games were such a great idea, but it really did turn into too big of a sport too quick. I mean, imagine, imagine if any professional sport had evolved from, essentially it's infancy to something that was generating millions of dollars in like 15 minutes. There's going to, there's going to be corruption there. Um, But for for us, it was like 2005, 2006 at at, at CrossFit Long Beach. We were also a phenomenal martial arts gym. I've I've said it too many times for it to still be useful, but I I fully believe I walked into the best possible place I could have at the exact right time for me. Um, and, And we were, we were training strength and conditioning to be better at, other things, you know, we, we were training Muay Thai, we were training grappling. I was competing in those things. I still rode BMX all the time. And, you know, that comes at costs, you know, my, my right wrist had been broken a few times and, and 
I couldn't front rack a barbell properly. So, so what we started developing was, okay, how do we optimize these patterns? How do we, how do we get what we need to out of this training without making it into these like insane attrition drills? And as we started going in that direction, they started going in the other direction, which is like absolute, just (laughs) barbaric training for the sake of torture. And that's when I totally lost interest in, in it from a philosophical standpoint, but yet I still didn't want to throw in the towel on it because it had done a lot for me and, and I was committed to the idea. So that's when we had the CrossFit shirts idea. Um, and, and I guess if, if CrossFit shirts had, had been able to happen in 2004, 2005, it may have hung on for a while, but we were, in my opinion, right at the end of when that philosophical shift um, was coming, you know? And we just, we just kind of got, we just kind of got mowed down. And, and it was funny hearing you say Jimmy Letchford and it was funny hearing you say affliction. Um, they really loved the hell and earth stuff. And, and just like many people did at that time, hell and earth was too small to be taken all that seriously, but everybody stole from it. Uh, the funniest thing is affliction stole from it Oh wow! because the, the affliction warehouse at the time was, was in the same plaza as CrossFit Long Beach. Oh, shit. Um, so we had our stuff over there all the time and, 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 you know, those clowns would wander through and, and whatever. And, and, um, it was just, it was just, it was an interesting time, but there's a lot of dots to connect there that a lot of people didn't know connected. How, uh, how did you get into like the mace? I mean, I, I, like I had seen Indian clubs for years and, uh, um, you know, like I just, uh, man, it was kind of like a weird thing. I remember seeing kettlebells and then I remember seeing like these guys get into these Indian clubs deal. And then, uh, I saw you do your mace stuff and, you know, I mean, I assumed that there was some lineage for it, but how did you get into that? And more importantly, like, you know, like, uh, I mean, you made a great point about, you know, finding different ways to challenge patterns, which is, you know, the evolution and really the definition of athleticism, you know, challenging posture and position, uh, through different planes of motion. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting one, especially using, you know, the swinging motion so many times with counterweights. And so how, how did that all come about? Um, I, I've always, I've always liked to look into the, the things I was doing. That's not going to surprise anybody that's listened to us ever. Um, but in looking into the histories of wrestling and things like that, you would see them, but they were almost like, they were almost like mystified. You know, you'd see, you'd see these Indian deities with, with maces and, and you'd see kind of like these, these Indian wrestling cultures using primarily maces and then like a bunch of small wooden things for strength and conditioning for pushups. And then their only other real training seemed to be dragging their wrestling uh, rooms with essentially sled drags, um, plows or whatever. And uh, so it was, it was something that was in my vernacular, but I had no access to it. Well, Jake Shannon, scientific wrestling, um, he was in Southern California at the time and, and, um, I always say 2005 and I think it was, um, but, uh, I went down there to, to train with him and he had made the first maces that were just the stick with the ball. Um, he had made them through that company. Remember Torque Athletic, not, not the one that made the t-shirts and stuff that Uriah Faber wore a couple of years ago, but like Torque Athletic from way back, it was like a guy who had a car shop that made some really interesting strength and conditioning stuff, made some like push up handles and cool, cool stuff. Um, I would imagine similar to like what Sorenex would make now, like evolutionary version of, of, of basic things. And he'd gotten these maces done. They had, they had urethane on the outside. So they were, they were bouncy, which was kind of scary. We, we, we know we've adjusted away from that, but they were tremendous. And it, it was, um, 
insanely eye-opening when I went down there to train with him, how hard it was to even maneuver them in any direction. So we trained with them that day. Uh, a handful of people trained in the alley behind his place and, and practiced some basic mace stuff. Um, to his credit, he had, he had a ton of great ideas. Uh, the mace itself was a great idea. Um, there wasn't a lot of detail to it at that point. Um, and when I say not a lot, like like maybe none. Uh, th there were there were concepts, there were movements, um, but I, I was I was I had already been pretty deep in the martial arts well and, and thought. If you can't detail something out, you can't teach it to everybody. You're only going to be giving it to the people who are natural movers. Mm. So we started, we started tinkering with it um, and finding that it was filling a role that nothing else filled, you know, and, and, you know, it's not like soreness is the prime indicator of good training, but when you've got regions of your body that now feel awake and you've been doing proper weightlifting and training for, for quite a while, it tells you something important, you know, and especially for me, I mean, I've been banged up already. I've been, I've been falling down riding BMX for at that point, a long time. Um, and the fact that it was helping my shoulders feel better and stuff, um, felt, felt like it was, it was something I wanted to dive into deep and we did. So, so, you know, from 2000, from 2005 to whenever I moved back to New York and such, I, I tinkered and then once we got back there, that was, that was when I decided to kind of roll it out. And I think the first Mace videos we made were 2007, maybe 2008. And some of them were, were the first front plane Mace swings ever, ever done, certainly ever shown. Um, and it just never made sense to me that the back plane would be so effective, but there wouldn't be a, a value to a front plane swing. And since then, some of that stuff has become yeah, some of the staples of our, of our training, um, and, and things like that front pendulum swing are just the, the lowest risk, highest reward bang for the buck. And, and we put them in a warm up, we put them in cool down, we use them for accessories. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of where it all came from. And then since there wasn't any detail really, I mean, the, the, the well was, was, untapped there was there was no no one had used it really as a strength tool yet it was just being swung around there's a ton of value to swinging it around but but the length of the lever and and those angles make it a tremendous strength tool i mean it's it's a it's one of the best pushing accessories that we've that we've found it's it's a great way to help people recover you you can find you can find angles in your presses that you wouldn't find with anything else that are the weak spots in your primary lifts um, it's, uh, it's, it's really turned into something different than I ever could have pictured it. Yeah. And with Wolf Brigade, Brigade Jim, like what was the origins of that? Was it to, to right the wrongs of your previous California experience? <laughs> what a great question. So, well, so I, I don't know if you spend much time in Long Beach, uh, no. but, uh, uh, I would not, <laughs> Uh, I mean, uh, strong beaches, we used to like to call it, but, uh, like when you think of Southern California, um, I don't know if like, you know, like what I'm thinking, like Signal Hill, Long Beach and the amount of time I spent there isn't necessarily like the sunny version of walking on Newport in the beach. Like it's, <laughs> it, it's a, it it's really a fucking tough neighborhood. Well, you know, and I'll jump a quick one in before I, before we go to that in, in the, in Signal Hill, particularly uh, after I moved to California, I had a really good job running a bike company out there and um, we wanted to do hell on earth a little more seriously. So 
uh, I dragged my brother out. We got a little office and he, he was living upstairs from it in, in Signal Hill. And next door to us was a, was a car shop. Uh, there's air quotes around that. They partially fixed cars. Yeah. Um, and at awesome. any, any day, Shop shops. I would, I would, I would get done with my regular job and come to hell and earth at the evening. And any given day, my brother would be sitting on the steps playing dice with Snoop Dogg's father <laughs> or any number of any, just like, I don't know, weird neighborhood maniacs. Um, some of the stuff that we saw over there was, was crazy. So yeah, it was, it was definitely not the same, you know, fashion Island type of, you know, walk through any time of day or night. Um, but, but when, I decided to come back to New York. We had a couple of projects working out here. The print shop was one of them. Um, Helen Earth had, had moved back here at that point. And I, I knew that what I wanted to do with training would work, but I also knew that it needed to grow somewhere that I could do it for far more reasonable costs uh, with a bit of a captive audience, you know, a focus group that I could kind of just manhandle for lack of a better way of putting it and, and make into what I needed to make it into. Um, and then, and then my instructors and partners in, in, in Long Beach, one of them was, was finishing the police Academy. He was a little bit older, but he'd been a military guy been training martial arts and teaching for many, many years, got into the police Academy priorities. were going to need to change there. And so when it got to be 2007, I, I moved back to New York in, in um, May of 2008. So when, when it got to be 2007, it was pretty much figured out that I was either going to need to really run that gym, teach most of the strength and conditioning and at least most of the martial arts and, uh, or, or, or change direction. And, you know, I, 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 I still wonder if that was the right choice, but, um, I, I know that if I had stayed there, I might've stopped developing, um, simply out of having to do too much teaching. Mm. And, and so my, my, my perspective on that was, I don't, I don't feel like I'm done with that developmental side yet. Um, and, and I certainly wasn't. So it was, it was partially because I had, I had no romance left with, with CrossFit. Um, we weren't going to renew the, the affiliation anyway. Um, and, and we, he and, um, uh, my instructors ended up selling it to a guy that kept it as CrossFit Long Beach, but it, it, it had, it had no reflection on, on what we were before. Um, I, I emailed where at CrossFit one point. Long Beach, uh, it was actually where CrossFit Long Beach was right across the street from Artistic Plating, which is my buddy Greg's, uh, um, the, like the oldest, uh, like they chrome. Like they still have the ability to chrome with lead. They're the oh, last wow. like non-EPA governed uh, I was just like gonna chrome say. shops. Yeah, <laughs> so his dad, it's been continuous. His dad started it and like they've, literally like somehow skirted the EPA and yeah, my buddy Greg runs it and he's like, he worked there as a kid and now he's got to be in his sixties. Um, but it's right across the street. Wow. And so it was funny. I remember I went to CrossFit Long Beach, this is years ago. And like, it was funny as I pulled up, I was like, Holy shit. Like I know exactly where I am. This is Greg's shop. And, uh, yeah, Greg's like still actually a buddy of mine. Uh, I, I, I talked to him probably once a month, but yeah, he, uh, you know, does all like the plating and all like the chrome stuff for chip foose and all the Riddler cars and all like, like the most high end cars, because it's the only place that actually in California, you can legitimately do chrome. So I always yeah. think like, you know, Long Beach, like, uh, like my buddy Huey's motor shop was in Signal Hill. And I used to go there on Saturday mornings. Um, and that's actually how I learned how to wrench on motors, but we would go early in the morning and Huey would cook moonshine. 
So he, in another life, he used Sounds to, about right. yeah, he, he was like in Breaking Bad, you know, he was like, you know, uh, cooking stuff for, you know, bikers. And, uh, and then, you know, sort of building motors and he was a motor builder, but yeah, he used to be like, Hey, show up, I'm cooking shine. And he used to make us this, and I know you're not a drinker, but, uh, he used to make this moonshine for us around Christmas that we used to mix with eggnog. And I swear to God, you'd have like one of them and your whole face would be numb. Like that joke, yeah, like, 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 like the weekend, what was it? Uh, I can't feel my face when I'm with you. Like legitimately what's going through your mind is you're drinking, uh, uncle Huey's moonshine. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> you're drinking moonshine that was made in a car shop, man. That's it's not going to, I was going to say, like, there, there's nothing that resembles a white claw going on there at all. You know, <laughs> if, if you drank a white claw sized bottle of that, you would be uh, dead. You, you wouldn't dude. be sitting here talking. Oh, dude. Yeah. I uh, spent a lot of time in that, in that neck of the woods. So it's pretty interesting now when you go take a look, like they've demoed everything, like any, like, like if you went back today, I mean, oh, okay. the gent- like the gentrification and like. They've, yeah. they've blasted out all those places and putting up homes. It's really pretty interesting to see now. I'm sure of it because there was really still a pocket of North Long Beach where things were affordable and it was sketchy, but it wasn't like quite so sketchy like Compton Carson yet. Um, that's where the bike company was. And, and that, that was, that was a pretty significant experience for me coming from the East coast. Rochester is not a particularly nice city. And, and I, I had traveled a lot for, for BMX and hardcore and things like that. Um, but the first couple months that I was in, in Long Beach for work, I would go from where I lived uh, to, to, to El Presidio in, in Carson Compton. And I, I took surface streets a few times because the freeways, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but the freeways in Los Angeles are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, really? Uh, anyway. Uh, um, Lane, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, 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 would, I, I used to joke that uh, uh, if I could go back and like reclaim the time that I lost on the 405 and the 110, oh, I could sure. probably add like another five years to my life. Like, easily. Uh, yeah. Easily. I mean, definitely points to my IQ, definitely levels to my sanity. And, and, and so I would, I would drive surface streets from Long Beach to, to, to my, to my, my job. And, and that's a terrible idea. Geez, it was yeah. just a really terrible idea. And, <laughs> and you don't, you don't realize how much truth there is to, to some of that, yeah. you know, fic- fiction that you see in the movies and stuff like that. But, um, that, that was, that was a real eye opener for me. <laughs> oh yeah. I, uh, um, so what's wild now is a lot of those real big, like warehouses that were right on that kind of like Inglewood, Compton, Long Beach kind of corridor are now, uh, big marijuana grow factories. So when we were there, um, I had a buddy who has since passed away, but he was, you know, had a dispensary in these big grows and I got to go tour a couple of them and they were literally right on that, like edge of like, you know, uh, Long Beach, Compton, that whole kind of Inglewood yeah. area. I mean, you're walking in and I mean, these things are you know, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 square feet, you know, multiple yeah. levels of yeah. new grows. I mean, they're, they're doing, I mean, like the one guy's like, they're doing 12 million bucks a day in marijuana. And like, I'm like in this neck of the woods, you know, there's armed security outside sitting in vans waiting for guys to come in strong. And I'm like, Holy shit, dude, this I mean, is you escape can, from you LA. Can, you can see it. I mean, even where we were, the, even on El Presidio street, the, there were these well hidden, you know, mega buildings that you would never know were, were like you said, 15, 20, 30,000 square feet. You could see that really working well over there. There were some of those places that had really fancy cars in there and and they all had armed, they had armed guards and lots and things like that. Um, And it was, it was in a weird way, the industrial areas over there were almost like a no fly zone. Like they weren't as sketchy as as soon as you crossed over, like there were some of the shopping centers that were right near there. Um, 
there was like a flea market that was right near there. And, and I would go over there occasionally just because like, I'm always curious. I, I want to see, I want to see my environments and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm, I, I'm not sure I would do that again now. You know, yeah. it's different oh, yeah. over there. No, why? Well, uh, you know, when I lived in Newport, I used to train at Athletes Performance, which was uh, at the uh, the Staples Center. So, or not, um, or I guess it's StubHub now, but uh, it was the Home Depot Center at the time where the CrossFit Games were. Oh, okay. So I used to drive because the Staples Center is now yeah, the no, crypto. I know it. Whatever it, it was, uh, it was called the Home Depot Center. It became the StubHub. I think it might have been Staples. It's it's changed names. One but year I contract. To, it's a one year contract. Yeah. It'll be it'll be power so, athlete, it'll be power athlete next year. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> so we so I, I would drive up the four hundred five every morning, and on the days where the track was fucking trash, I uh, I would ride my sport bike because I could fucking lane split in the uh, in the yep. carpool lane, and uh, like you know, and then basically cruise down you know Carson Boulevard, and then you'd hit that one, and then you know hit a couple of those little places. But as long as you stayed within like the like the like the the good area of the freeway, you're usually okay. It's when all of a sudden you got like three or four streets back where all of a sudden you're like, oh fuck, where am I? And yep. uh, yeah, no, it's uh, but yeah, man, that like it, it's funny living out here in Texas. And I think what's uh, oh well, I was going to tell you this too. Um, when you came and visit us, a little power athlete in Costa Mesa in that industrial complex on the other side. If you walked out our front door and there was an industrial complex. There was probably easily another 20 of those units. Uh, probably about 16 of them were gross. Oh, no. Were, yeah. And so so my buddy um, who had a dispensary, was, it was kind of interesting, this guy, Big Jeff, he like cruises over and introduces me to this guy, his buddy who's uh, named Mikey, who's like a kind of a um, like one of the dudes you call, like if you ever grow and it's, and it's uh, uh, fucked up, you call this dude. He's kind of like the grow recovery guy. He's like the, like the grow 911 kind of a deal. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So I, I met him. He's a super nice dude. So then like about six months, a year later, um, I, I come walking out of power athlete and I see Mikey like standing like on the, like underneath, like kind of the awning across. And I'm like, Mikey, what's up? And he's like, oh, hey, Johnny Cruz is over. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm uh, rehabbing some grows. I'm like, which one? And he's like, mm, about 12 of them in here. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so it was funny because I asked him, he's like, you ever smell anything? I'm like, I do about, you know, seven o'clock at night. If I'm here late, they, they must open their vents and push it out and I can smell it. He's like, oh, yeah. And took me on a tour. And I was like, holy shit. Like the, I mean, like cowboy, like they had cut into like the power and like the water. I mean, like the amount wow. of crazy shit they had done. But that whole area of east side Costa Mesa was just literally like littered with grows. And uh, it's just, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's such a big business. And then well, they legalized but at that time, it. I mean, at that time, it couldn't have been nearly as, as prevalent. Defe definitely nothing you could just throw above the radar and not get in a ton of trouble for. Yeah. I mean, interesting. Uh, yeah. So that was, uh, it, it just was kind of funny that like all of a sudden we're like here in the middle, you know, east side coast of Mesa, you know, yeah. the factory yeah. was, you know, was right there. And like all these places, Volcom, you know, all these different shops, like, uh, um, uh, Henneman transmissions was across the street. I remember Robbie Gordon pulled up in his trophy truck one day when those guys were doing transmissions. So, I mean, like it was pretty your, amazing. Your, your friend had his place next door to you too. That's we went in and yeah. goofed around with a, a truck you had in there at the yep. time. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, that was where I learned to weld and fab. I mean, we had the fab shop. Uh, there was like, um, El Toro motors, which was like, you know, imported of like, you know, the top fucking, uh, European sports cars. Like they had a nine fifty nine, like one of two in the United States in the showroom. And that was like two streets down. I mean, just like, uh, like I still to this day, it's, you know, I mean, I'm blown away by like how much like wealth and just really cool shit is in that part of the country. 
And uh, I mean, you're just like, you know, we and there we had a gym and it was just wacky shit. And it's all so close to each other and you'd almost never know it. Like even even mentioning quickly what I did earlier with CrossFit Long Beach, which is we were we were, you know, a small to medium sized early days place doing a bunch of specialty stuff. Didn't have much money and definitely didn't have a giant place. And, and down the street from us, down down the block from us was affliction uh, down the block from us was again, same, same thing, really successful car stuff. Um, it, it was, it was, there was, a, there was a tactical place in there before any of us really knew what was happening with that. It, it, it's really interesting mix in, in California, but um, it, it also definitely um, changes quickly depending on the neighborhood, maybe even the street, maybe even the time of day that, that, that was something that it taught me pretty quick out there. So were, were you originally from Rod? So you were from Rochester and then yeah. you went out there because of the bikes and now, and then you went back. Yeah, that's right. I, I moved out there January 10th of 1999. Um, we had a, we had a bike company here called kink um, that this idiot owned. And um, I came in on the very early side of that thing. And, and um, I can say pretty, pretty uh, contritely with humility. I was the reason he didn't put it out of business. He, he was a, he was a really good businessman but a terrible brand manager. And at the time with BMX, it was, you couldn't be one or the other. You know, if you were, if you were inclined to run a subway restaurant and you weren't treating the riders properly and you weren't going out there and, and riding yourself and, 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 you know, staying involved in that culture, no one gave a shit about you. And so uh, I had a lot of good developmental experience with that. Like we, I got to figure out how to build a brand. I had built some small stuff before that. Um, but that got me some great experience. And then, and I went on a, I went on a, a, a pretty well publicized, uh, BMX trip called road fools. And from that, I got invited out to California for that job. Uh, it was, it was really just a, it was a, a, a lucky, but somewhat strategized connection of dots. And, and I stayed out there for almost 10 years and then, and then came back. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, so how, like, uh, um, like, give me like the, the macro of like, uh, of like Wolf Brigade, you know, I mean, I know you've heard yeah. a ton of stuff and like, you know, I, I do, you know, I obviously we follow you on social media. I'm just curious on like, you know, how, like the origins of that and really the mission statement. And, and I know you've traveled and worked with just about everybody. And I, I know we had uh, some interesting talks a little bit about like when this whole kind of like COVID BLM deal start, how you kind of got singled out, which was kind of weird as you were kind of explaining it to me. And I don't know if <laughs> yeah. you mind getting into that a little bit, but no, I mean, um, something else to be fun to point out. And I think I, I think I held on to it last time because because you you were busy. But um, the first kettlebell clinic I ever taught was when you were still a part of, of CrossFit Newport. Um, and and that was that was a, that was a really big deal to me, you know, because I, I respected you. And, and that place was really cool. And, and I taught a bunch and I taught a bunch of clinics separate from our membership at our place. Uh, but that was actually the first remote clinic that I, that I did in remote 20 minutes down. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and, and then so, so with, with Wolf Brigade, some of the overarching terms is like expert generalism. And it, it's, it's never meant to be something that people dabbled in so much that they just sucked at everything. It was meant to be, we whittled the list down to what was actually going to help people develop athletically, you know, philosophically, you know, positionally, uh, pattern wise. And, that's what we did. We did it all the time. We did it really well. We did it with a different mix of tools than anybody else and anyone else still. Um, combining the barbell with heavy kettlebells and, and 
heavy maces, heavy, accurate kettlebell and mace lifting is, is creates a really tremendous product. So for the last 13, 14 years now, the, the game has been uh, how to keep checking those boxes one by one and seeing what it does for the, the, the nice, normal people we train. I say nice, normal people we train. I don't mean that in any sort of disrespect. I mean that in the sense that if they walked into a room, you're not going to be like, that 60-year-old man has a 106-pound Turkish get-up on each side. Or, you know, this this slightly larger 55-year-old woman can back squat 265 pounds for two reps perfectly. Uh, you, you're not going to look at them and think that, but that's but that's where we are. Those are the facts. This, this 115 pound math teacher can kettlebell snatch 62 pounds on each side for a bunch of reps. It doesn't make any sense until it makes sense. And that, that's what we've spent all this time doing is, is, um, you know, positional optimization, uh, and, and, and insulation. The, the, the mace is tremendous at that. Um, some of the, some of the kettlebell adaptations we've made most specifically, Kettlebell stuff programmed the way that it was programmed never made any sense to me in CrossFit anyway, because putting an arbitrary number on something that was so power and position oriented, like a kettlebell swing, didn't make any sense. You, you, you're you're going to swing a very different kettlebell weight than someone your size without a gigantic athletic background. Uh, that's just, that's just how it works. So one way that we started leveling the playing field is, is, taking the stuff that didn't make any sense off the table. That was, that was the easiest part is, is, is omitting anything that didn't prove itself. One of the first things we kicked even back in Long Beach was, was the overhead kettlebell swing. Yeah. The American swing. Yeah. Yeah. I refuse to call it that by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it it was, uh, and, and then it got bastardized to not even a swing. It was more like an upright row flip. Like I've I've seen it and I've, yeah. And I mean, so, so, and, and what you just said brings me into what my, what probably I was about to go to next, which is, which is pattern distinction. So if, if you're not really actually doing a hinge, but the training modality or, or the program design or whatever is built on the fact that this is a hinge, then you're missing any function of what a hinge would actually elicit from that training. So then what people have done is essentially misbuilt an entire movement pattern. And then you're wondering why people are bleeding force in all these different directions, why they're getting injured too quick, uh, why all these different things are happening. Well, it's because of this maybe unintentional, but definitely a little bit of an oversight bastardization of, of position. So that's one thing that we're, we're really pretty, we're really pretty, good about and, and firm about is when people come in, uh, we, we run them through a curriculum priorities list. And before they ever take a class, they know how to make all the shapes. They know how to make them with a handful of, of implements. And if one implement isn't the best choice for them, um, then there's another one that's that's a suitable complement supplement. But the position is never negotiable. Um, and just like you said, now, you know, the kettlebell swing, I've even seen really good trainers, people I respect lately highlighting some videos of different kettlebell swings. And, you know, I mean, I think the distinction is important. You know, if, if, if you're upright in three quarters of a squat and the goal is, is a kettlebell swing that would develop your posterior chain, power timing, you know, power endurance, conditioning, whatever the case is. 
and it's not actually a swing, then what are you really doing? Um, so with, with, with Wolf Brigade, one of the things that, that we're big on doing is making sure that even the basic stuff is taught surgically well and performed all the time. Um, and then, and then really anything you put on top of a foundation like that, it just, it works. It just works. Um, our people are really, really strong. We're never going to have the heaviest deadlifters in the world, but it doesn't matter. That's not what we're building. Um, and if we wanted to do that, you know, we've, we've proven uh, outside our doors that we can, that we can do that too. Um, but, but that's, I guess that's, that's the, that's the short version of a longer story. But for me, the difference is, is how specific we are on positioning. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sharp at, at mini diagnostics too. I, I can, I can tinker with something someone's doing and it will, imp it will very likely improve before our eyes. Therefore they're able to lift more weight. And I don't really know what the terminology for that is, but if you're immediately stronger based on positional acuity, you are going to progress further and have more satisfaction with your training. Um, and then also how we combine the implements, you know, I mean, people have combined barbells and kettlebells for a long time, but they haven't put percentages of barbell lifting into kettlebells because prior to the adaptations that we've made in kettlebell lifting, it couldn't be heavy enough to be useful. Um, things like kettlebell back squat, things like, like stacked hand and, and pistol grip lifting positions. There's no chance that a 130 pound girl is going to kettlebell snatch 97 pounds internally rotated in their traditional kettlebell lifting ways. It's impossible because we've tried it. Um, but it happens in a, in a, in a pistol grip. So uh, just a, a lot of tinkering, but a, a lot of stuff that's, that's really kind of played out um, in, in the right way. And, and uh, of course, after we had met, but prior to us really ever being seen by too many people or pulling the curtain back, or whatever. I mean, man, we just kind of built this thing in the dark. You know, I came back to New York and we were working on our print shop, we were working on the CrossFit shirts thing. Um, I was training people, training myself and, and, Honestly, I, I, I wasn't concerned about really promoting it all that much yet because I wanted to make sure it didn't suck because I had, I had the value of seeing um, how quickly things had gone off the rails with CrossFit, how, how quickly things, in my opinion, had gone really downhill with the quality of, of CrossFit. I just never wanted to be that, you know? Yeah, no, the, uh, the kettlebell thing was interesting because um, when I first was introduced to kettlebells, the guys that were doing it were just about kettlebells and yeah. uh, you know, yep. they, you know, and all they wanted to do was talk about why kettlebells were better than lifting weights. And like, yeah. it was just this yeah. like weird, like kind of like either or. And what I liked the kettlebells for was one, I liked the grip strength stuff. I liked the task specific tension, the idea of like, you know, being able to swing, you know, kind of float for a second, like relax and like that turn was, on, turn off, yeah, turn, turn on, on, turn, turn off, off. Uh, yeah. which was so important for playing football. I liked like the trunk stability aspect. I liked the fact that like you had to stabilize and catch and reversal and, you know, accentuation phase. I mean, there was a lot of cool things that I liked about it uh, that came from the swing, whether it be, you know, unilateral stagger. I mean, there was all these different positions you could do. The problem is, is then uh, there was like uh, the foundational ways I, I liked it. But then these guys were what I got into what I call jazzy bells, where they were like trying to like make it like just too much. And I was like, yo man, why don't you just swing something heavy, find a couple right. different patterns and then bang some weights. And like, it yeah. was, it was, uh, yep. and, and that's what we've always done with it where it was like, you know, Hey, like, uh, it's not all barbells. It's not all kettlebells. There's an interesting blending and they each have their own, uh, their own you know place for it. 
And Boy, it, it just was, well, and, and, and CrossFit was really, uh, in those early days, the only people that were kind of like in this two part, you know, two footed camp where, you know, cause, uh, like the Pavel stuff. And I remember, you know, Dragon Door and those guys, like all they wanted to do was like, oh, you know, b- lifting barbells is shit. Kettlebells are better. And then you got the guys that are lifting weights saying, you know, these kettlebell guys suck. <laughs> and, uh, when I saw the CrossFit stuff, they were like using it and conditioning and kind of balancing it. And I was like, oh. This actually makes sense that these things have a more of a symbiotic relationship better than like either or. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. One hundred percent. I mean, there's no replacing the value of a barbell. Um, there's almost no replacing the value of a kettlebell. And, and in my opinion, we've really deepened the water with that. I mean, we, we can we can now adapt weights and positions to almost anything if the barbell is off the table for any reason. Um, if, if it just needs work and, and a kettlebell is a better positional tool to figure that out if somebody's injured. Uh, so if you take one of those off the table, you're essentially under servicing your, your trainees and under servicing your own, your own training. The, the, th- the third piece of that puzzle for us is the mace. It, it's allowed us to be diagnostic with stuff that neither of those tools um, can do. And then recuperative with, with things that neither of those tools can do. Um so, so I've, I fell in love with kettlebells early and started tinkering with how to make them heavy early um, because I'd been banged up a bunch and, and my right wrist wouldn't front rack a barbell properly. And, and you know, especially with, with, with the training at the time, that was all the time, you know, that, that was, that was, you know, how many, how many days a week was either, you know, a front squat or a power clean or, or something Every like day. that. <laughs> 19, 19 days a week was a front squat or a power clean. <laughs> yeah. So I had to figure out a, a, a a suitable complement supplement that was heavy enough to be useful. And so we kind of had to kick the framework because. Do you know why? Do I know what? Do you know why that the kettlebell or, I mean, or the front squat or that was like in every element of it? Well, probably because you told them that it was better for forward positional development no. for athletes. No, because because <laughs> uh, Greg Glassman couldn't back squat. <laughs> so he, you know, he, he was stricken with polio. He has no glute muscle. So he has no ability to, to, to put a barbell on his back. So everything had to be done out of a front rack position. And so like the, you know, when I went out there and he asked me, he goes, you know, do you think, uh, you know, what we're doing is, is developing, you know, developing athleticism. I said, no, because everything you're doing is just nothing but bilateral hip hinging in a sagittal plane. Like there's no frontal plane. There's no transverse, uh, you know, like there's uh, like, you know, you're constantly searching for center of gravity on every movement, which is like the barbell. I mean, the most efficient is going to be in center of gravity. But then you think about uh, a kettlebell, for example, it's never within your center of gravity. If anything, right. you're trying to like, you know, counteract everything. Like if it's swinging this way, I have to load this way. So I'm I'm fighting position with my body against an implement to find center of gravity. So like there's just a lot of things. And I as I sat there and talked to him more, I realized that, and he, he actually was the one that said to me, people fail, people fail at the margins of their experience, which was like, I wrote it down and I use it probably almost every day, but it was, it was one of those things where the training system was designed because this is the, what he was able to do within the training modality based upon his uh, injury gymnastics and what he was doing. So in a way, CrossFit became this like bilateral hip hinging in a sagittal plane that everything could be done in a doorway because that was the, uh, that was really the, the basis of what he physically could do. And he could not do these other things. Like I remember he was trying to tell me one time about deadlifting heavy singles. And it reminded me of like a 12 year old kid telling you a sex story. 
And I like was like, oh, my God, you're a virgin. And then I realized halfway through the story that he had never deadlifted. Before. It's like picking up bags of sand. Yeah. He was like, and then you do, I'm like, you've never deadlifted. I like it makes total sense now. And I mean, and it's uh, I'm not taking a shot at him because he's you know got a disability. But like that is something that nobody's ever addressed and being like, you know, the methodology was built because this individual was limited to these movements. And so instead of being like, hey, these are my limitations, I'm just going to sell the world that this is all you need. And when I came in, uh, he asked me and I'm like, this is this is not how you develop athletes. These are the components of athleticism. And this is what athletes do within their training. And this is why CrossFit is deficient. Now, if it's about getting people fit, you can get people doing fit to do anything. You can air squat and get somebody fitter. You do one more squat. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not I'm not interested in fitness. We're interested in performance. And if you're building a performance model, it has to, you know, fit within the paradigm of athleticism and movement and fostering developing. And assessing well, and finding what people can't do. Well, that was another big issue. And building it, a 360 degree model. Yeah. You know, not yeah. not a 45 degree one. And and it, it's also interesting that the, that the quintessential 101 do not do for good trainers or teachers is relegating yourself to teaching how you learn. And the fact that that was how the entire largest fitness craze in the world was built is, is really fascinating. You know, I mean, if, if, if I, if I had simply taught strength and conditioning in the ways that worked best for me, I would have a bunch of lopsided motherfuckers running around that place that were probably about half as accurate as they should be. Um, and half as strong, you know, I mean, some of the things that, that, that I learned the most of the most from were being injured and having to figure out how to adapt. Sure. You know, if that injury didn't happen, how would I have optimized it outside that injury? That that's that's also really important. You you don't you don't constrain people to your own limitations. Yeah, and I that's mean, exactly what the the basis of it was. And uh, the other piece that I've since said many times, and Texas heard me say that, you know, the uh, the age old like the best trick the devil ever played was convince the world it didn't exist. The best trick that Greg Glassman ever played was convincing the world that athleticism and athlete and work capacity and effort were all the same thing. That because you could come in and do a certain amount of work, you were a good athlete. And I heard Kelly Sarrett referring to people as his athletes and this and this, you know, idea of like work capacity is synonymous with athleticism. And uh, I was like, it's not. I know guys over here that can't do three push-ups, but if you went out to go shoot golf or, or, or throw a football or do anything that's athletically required, these guys would fucking ace you. I mean, I knew our backup quarterback who probably couldn't bench 135 was a scratch golfer and didn't play golf. I mean, you know, these guys were just incredible. We go out and we, you know, shoot baskets at training camp and these dudes are just tearing it up. And you're like, holy shit, dude. Like these guys are incredibly gifted athletes that are just wired up different. And, you know, and and I know because I spent a lifetime uh, training myself to fool, to fool people into thinking I was much more athletic than I was. I knew that there was a model for it. And I knew that if I could master the model and become like a master of my domain, my goal was to have people think I was much more gifted and athletic than I really was. And people be like, oh, I'm like, dude, this is all this is all fucking smokescreen based upon effort. If you saw the amount of work that I put in to like do this, you would understand, whereas other people just walk on and they're just naturally gifted. And having the, the reason I think when people ask me about this, the reason that it made sense to me was I knew how I fooled people and I knew the things that athletes did because I was uh, observant and I watched the world's best athletes compete in a day, you know, on a daily basis. And I got to compete against them and I knew exactly where my limitations were. I knew what positions I couldn't get 
to or the positions that I had to stay in. I knew that like I had to maintain my technique longer under force within speed and all these other things, angles to the point where I knew what the drive. I mean, like I had to play every game, whereas dudes are just out there just fucking being athletes. And uh, yeah. as I got into the CrossFit yeah. deal and I started listening to it, I was like, you know what? Like, and I, I still remember Greg being like, do you, do you think that the training people are doing in CrossFit is building athleticism and making better athletes? And I was like, no, it's not. Because here's the components. Here's three planes of motion. You got a, a transverse, a frontal, and a sagittal plane. You have uh, these different, you know, hinging. You got stepping. You, got, you know, like, and we went through the whole model. And I was like, you're really deficient. You can't call it an athletic form of training if you're not training, like you said, a 360-degree model. You're just literally training movement patterns because, you know, like, yeah, and it, and it just it, was, it was this. It, it was confusing to me. But what was amazing was that nobody else, or at least the people around me, weren't asking these same questions. Well, and 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 in in a sense, they eventually would, but it took a lot longer than I expected, and it's still not really all that prevalent. Um, but you know, and it wasn't a smokescreen. You you were using intelligence and work capacity and and outside of application detail to to improve yourself, and and similarly but differently, of course. I didn't play professional football, but I definitely understand the nature of having to to stack the deck in your favor because you didn't come into it with certain skills, and 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 that was that was very much the same for me with with BMX, martial arts, strength training, all, all of those things. Um, I, I I have I have never liked the idea that something is obligatory. Um, we've we've said often that that we reject. Uh, any tradition not mirrored by modern function. And that, that, you know, CrossFit for better or worse also taught me that. And, and in the sense that, and, and the vernacular, I understand too. And I say athletes probably more than I should. Um, but the reality is the way our training is set up, it's athletic. You're doing athletic things. It looks more, much more like a sport or a martial art or, or a, a practice than a CrossFit class. Um, and some, some of the, some of the sneaky satisfaction in that is, is some of the worst performers we've ever seen, uh, come into our place. And, and some of them that didn't last even through the curriculum priorities are former CrossFitters. Now we had, um, we had a giant dude last year start, um, really good athlete, played football in college, smart guy, um, you know, successful, all that kind of stuff. And he'd had cervical spine stuff. He'd had knee stuff. And I was like, Oh, from football. No, from squatting to half depth, uh, with his neck chickened up to the ceiling, uh, doing butterfly pull-ups, all this kind of stuff. Dude was six, six, probably two forty, And and I was thinking under, under what hole filled umbrella is someone having that motherfucker do a kipping pull-up? Uh, because when we put him on the ground to do push-ups and we put him on the bar to do pull-ups and things like that, just as you said, it wouldn't happen at all. If I gave him a football, I'm sure he'd go do something impressive. But in my in my opinion, my experience, they got to meet somewhere. You know, um, th there shouldn't be an excuse for for people to not have those access to baseline positions and and, and baseline strength stuff. Um, so then, what we've seen from that is is once they do, then the, then the sky's the limit. I mean. The, the the outside the room accomplishments that I'm the proudest of are the ones that are are the are the least probable. You know, we had a guy, one of our longest term trainees, and and just 
a, a product of the system, uh, so to speak, run a, a hundred miles last year using nothing but our training as prep. Didn't run. Um, went out and ran a couple miles here and there, but like basically just, he was well insulated. He's positionally accurate. He's really durable, but he's not beaten into submission. You know, his, his central nervous system has probably recovered from his training. Um, and, and he went out and ran a hundred miles with a, with a, with a partner of his and, and killed it, did like 19 hours. Um, we've, we've, we've put abnormal amounts of weight on people's primary lifts with, with smart accessorizing of, of kettlebell and mace stuff. Um, and so it's, it, it's interesting to think about a- athletics and in-room training, uh, in the same breath. Um, but I don't want someone to leave our room and not be able to go do something like that. I, I, I want to build, I want to build someone that if they decide to just go play football with their friends, that they can just go do that. Well, um, even the coordination aspects of it, how to throw, how to generate floor to extremity power, uh, how to actually build your midline. Um, and it certainly isn't, you know, kip, kip, what it, kipping toes to bar, you know, what it, it isn't. It isn't those things. It's circle pull-ups, Greg. Well, it's uh, it, 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 one of the funniest things that ever happened to us. Um, is that real? Could be. Was uh, the I, I remember. Uh, I think White Cross of football and still our stuff is is pretty good because we usually are doing the training ahead of time. And uh, we had this idea. I was like, what about like heavy extension with like dynamic extension and flexion? Like, let's go heavy deadlifts and then do a bunch of toes to bar. Uh, I remember we pulled something heavy and did like a whole bunch of this stuff. And, uh, everybody was like, I don't think I'm right. Like everything, but like it was SI joints, it was sciatica. Like it was just everybody fucking shattered even to me. And, and like my back's always pretty good. And I remember, uh, like not programming it in CrossFit football and then, uh, kind of like throwing it in a little bit. And, uh, I remember somebody asked me at one of the seminars, like, Hey, have you ever made any mistakes? I'm like, yeah. But unfortunately, I would make them on myself. I would rarely throw them out to people. And then That's people were exactly like, right. well, what about this? And I'm like, well, they, exactly there's right. only one time that I didn't do that. And that was Andy Stump's castle, uh, uh, Kalsu workout, where, you know, which is hilarious to now it's voted like the most difficult CrossFit workout in history because, but it was on CrossFit football. And I remember when I, uh, Andy was like, hey, uh, you should do this and put it out there. And I was like, we don't have time to do that. That's fucking awful. And he's like, fucking put it out there, you pussy. And I was like, all right, fine. So I programmed it, never having done it, and uh, that fucking shattered people. To this day, people still talk about it. And I remember them asking me, like, do you ever make any mistakes? I'm like, 100%. The only one that I legitimately <laughs> didn't try ahead of time, though, was this workout. But I And uh, that was part of our whole deal where it's like if, um, if you're writing something or asking somebody to do it and, one, you've never done it, or more importantly, you can't do it, I have reservations about you coaching it and doing it. Like, um, yeah. like you said, you know, like people come yeah. in with injuries. I've had a ton. Like, uh, yep. I'm sure there's a good chance I've, I've dealt with your injury. And if there's limitations or if I ask people to do stuff, I should be able to do it myself. And I remember um, it was uh, it's Jeremy Thiel's brother, Zach, took our seminar. And uh, we used back in the day, we used to do the programming piece. And he wrote this program. And I was like, this is fucking awful. He's like, yeah, it's terrible. And I'm like, well, like how, how long did it take to do these workouts? He's like, I have no idea. I would never do this shit. And I remember being like a chef that won't eat his own cooking I mean, is as well, bad as a, as a CrossFit coach that won't do his own program. Or, hey, how about a sport yeah. coach not doing their own conditioning test for the team? Yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah. mean it's it's uh, you know, and that yeah. but that was in football. I mean, Andy Reid's out there screaming at us to run. Uh, you know, we're running our fucking well, conditioning test. Professional's different. I'm I'm talking like college, high school. It's yeah. I mean, but you, you've seen it, like uh, you know, this like the coach who's going to have a heart attack walking from his car to the field. Get out there! That's this effort, Super Bowls, like, <laughs> a chocolate cake, <laughs> tasty. Yeah, uh, damn it, I'm yeah. hungry. Uh, yeah. It, uh, I mean, there, there was that picture. It was um, the Cleveland Browns offensive line coach. I can't remember his name. Who's like orca fat. Yeah. And they did like he out there and he's out there screaming. He was on hard knocks. Yeah. And uh, it's just uh, like just miss a meal. Like uh, <clears throat> Greg with. You, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, all I was going to say is you got to taste the poison, you know, and, and a, a lot of times people don't want to because a lot of times it doesn't taste that good. But there, there's a, there's an irresponsibility to that, um, of course, as 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 capacity changes and things like that. But you also you also remember what that all feels like if you've never done it. I, I agree completely. Like you should you shouldn't be you shouldn't be teaching it unless you've been in in at least most of that deep water. Oh yeah. Uh, one, one, but, one of my favorite kettlebell workouts was the 30 swings on the minute, uh, minute on, minute off. So you get 150 swings in like, what's it, nine minutes? With a penalty. And yeah, with, if you don't get your swings. But I called it monkey claws because when I got done, I couldn't open my hands. Yeah. And like, it was like, and people were like, how to get monkey claws? I'm like, because I was stuck like this and my fingers and hands were stuck. And then they were like, well, then what happened? I'm like, well, we kept doing it until it got easier. And then we just got heavier kettlebells. And then, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and then I, yeah. and, and then one day when Kettlebell Kings is, uh, I don't think they're local anymore. They were, I drove over there to buy their 203, uh, kettlebell because I read that Andy Bolton had done a workout. I think it was like 10 swings on the minute for maybe like 10 minutes. And then he deadlifted a thousand pounds. And I was like, I'm going to fucking do this. Uh, at like minute seven, I shattered into a million pieces <laughs> and it took me like, sure. sure. Uh, it, it took me like probably two months of attempts, not every day, but like every three or four days I'd attempt it again. And it took me two months to finally be able to do it, but it fucking shattered me. And people were like, you were going to program that one? I'm like, not, not too many people are going to go out and buy a 203 count, uh, pound kettlebell to swing. No, but, the, but the concept is sound. I mean, if you take your body weight versus that body weight and your deadlift versus their deadlift, then there's a protocol to have sure. them improve that way. And, and, and for, for us, that's the other distinction is, is most, most people, um, and, I'm, and I'm pleased to be sitting here talking with two that do not, is there's no distinction between tired and better. And it's really easy to make someone tired and it's much, much harder to make someone better. And it's, it's, yeah. so, it's so just profoundly lost in the shuffle and I just don't understand it. But in a sense, I also do understand it because it's so much harder to make people better. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, uh, one of my favorites is I always ask people like, how was the workout? How was the training? And their only receipt for anything is, uh, you know, whether they got their dick kicked in or, you know, I got smashed. Oh, like, you know, like laying on the ground, rolling around and like even, even on our programs, people will like, you know, say things and like a little bit of me dies. I'm like, oh, like, yeah, I know that was tough. And they're like, oh my God, this shattered me into a million pieces. And I'm like, oh shit, man. Like, uh, was it too much? And then I think, well, you know what? Like, uh, it's going to be on tomorrow. So you better fucking go recover and see if you can come yeah. back the next day. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Like the idea yeah. of like but bringing people in and just getting them tired. What it, our aim is to make them better. So it's their training right. experience. That's the challenge with programming virtually yeah. with uh, a thousand people that we've never met before. Now 
the but Greg, that's why we know what super compensation involves. Yeah. Like I, I constantly dig people into a hole and then give them a chance to recover. And like we've tested the super compensation theory to like uh, fucking the nth degree. The problem was there was no super compensation in CrossFit. It was like right. the age old, like, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves <laughs> kind of deal right. where like right. it just people you'd come in and every day people just want to get kicked in the dick. And I'm like, God damn it. And then if well, we didn't, then people would be like, oh, this isn't any good. I'm I'm, uh, I'm not crawling out of here feeling like I fucking got set on fire. Well, r- r- morale improves for the 45 minutes after the workout. And then, you know, fatigue accumulates for the five years after the workout. And then people will get injured and then they quit training. You know, so that that was the other thing we had to, the good fortune to experience is, is that I want something that people can do forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to have people from when they start to when they want to stop training and I want it to be their decision, not the training's decision. Um, but you you were about to ask something, and then I'm, I think I probably interrupted you. It's the nature of Power Athlete Radio. Kidding. The, uh, <laughs> with the evolution of the garage gym, have you seen an uptick in your following and people seeking out more of your, your knowledge, your coaching, and experience with kettlebells and mace work? Uh, th- thanks. Uh, somewhat yes, somewhat no. We've, we've had some... We've had some cool bouts of, of contacting people. Like last time I was on here, it was great. A bunch of new eyes came on us that, that, that hadn't seen us before. And, and I understand why they hadn't seen us before. We, we, you know, we, we post well on Instagram. We don't post anything disposable or bullshit. Um, I don't, I don't, we don't do Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. And our website is very thorough. We, we just, we just launched a Patreon. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff that's going on there. Um, but on on some of the social media style stuff, we definitely aren't as large as we could be because we just haven't made it a, a huge priority. And then a couple times we've we've gotten set back pretty pretty significantly by um, people far more popular than us um, coming to visit to learn, and then essentially just uh, realizing that they learned from somewhere that was better than them, but smaller than them, and they could completely ignore it and and um, just take our information. So um, I've gotten a little sharper about that stuff. Um, uh, and then- why is that? I mean, it, like I, I've always said this, uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Like if, if you can't trace it back and I can, like, I can tell you everything within our programming and all like the, you know, the, the, whether it be philosophies or things I've learned, I, I've always been very happy to point out like, Hey, I learned this here. This is where this happy, came from. Happy. Uh, like, you know, please, like he's proud. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, it's because yeah. uh, there's really sharp people. I mean, like, you know, like yes. uh, um, things, problems I've tried to solve that other people have solved much better than me. And instead of me being like, no, 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 I'll, I'll be like, this is a better way of doing it. We're going to hack it in this way. And this person showed us, showed us a really cool way of doing this. And uh, I'm always really leery when I meet people uh, like, and even in, in the May stuff, like I've, I've come, I've seen people swing and, you know, start doing different products and, uh, uh, I know they got it from you because yeah. uh, I've been in this game for a long time and I, I, I usually know where the lineage of things started and thousand dollar certifications available out there. <laughs> yeah. Nah. Yeah. And, and so when you see that, we've seen like, those people, we, yeah. we've trained those people for free in 15 minutes on the internet and they've gotten exactly where they needed to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now all of a sudden they're, well, it, like it's even on this, like uh, like the breath stuff, for example, like, uh, you know, that stuff all kind of goes back to like Wim Hof. And, you know, you know, the parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system and hacking in and using breath. And I think a lot of people went to Wim Hof and were like, I could totally do something like this myself. And now all of a sudden there's people teaching breath. 
Well, once once development has moved 75% of the way, the last 25% seems a lot more digestible. And, and so that's why it seems really easy to, to take it and, and far more difficult to, to actually develop it. But it, w- it would be like when we applied barbell stuff, me thinking that I was going to come up with some sort of rep scheme that was going to build strength better than the people that have done that for the 200 years before. <laughs> me. You know, when, when, when something doesn't need to be tinkered with, I look at that as a, as a as a supreme gift because I don't have to goof around with it anymore. I can focus on the stuff that does need to be tinkered with. And, and that's, that's, that's been a huge help and a huge distinction is, is, is leaning on exactly like you said, you know, when, when something is, is proven for long enough by high enough level people, you don't need to tinker with it anymore. Uh, spend, spend your energy fixing the stuff that, that you, that you see an actual need for, um, not just, not just fixing something that isn't broken. But then the, the other, I think the other reason to circle back to the beginning of the conversation that, that we um, have hit the snags we've hit is one. Um, I'm way too trusting and a little naive when it comes to business stuff. That's, that's where the CrossFit thing got me, uh, really badly. We ended up having to close our print shop because of that. Um, had to, you know, fire my brother during the Christmas season, a bunch of really negative stuff came of that. I ended up in some debt that I definitely wasn't expecting because we had a really successful project that didn't seem like it was going to slow down, um, up to and including because the, people that I were partnered with would call me in the middle of the night to ask my advice about their relationships. Usually when someone ends up being a friend of yours at that level, they're not going to completely fuck you and and not even let you know about it. Um, so lesson, lesson learned. Um, but then the, the, (laughs) the unique opportunity that we had to help usher in cancel culture, uh, really, really sucked too. Um, you know, Uh, like, like how did that all go down? Like somebody was, searching on social media and somehow saw your stuff that uh, well, like i i don't like like when i look at it it um but maybe you know southern california kid like i uh, you know i'd go to rock shows it looks like something like i mean wolfergate could be well, uh, a fucking speed metal band to me like well you're uh, not gonna yeah. you're, you're not gonna bat an eye at it because you actually understand a lot of things you know like the the, the people get that get afraid of their shadows or the people that have never been outside in the dark and what, what we ended up finding is, um, you know, and the only vagary I'll use here is just because I, I really just don't feel like hearing about it anymore, but, um, I'll train anyone. I'll help anyone that wants to be helped. And, and one thing that I have an enormous amount of respect for is people that come through hard times and end up better and also end up with a priority to help others because of what they've been through or because of, you know, decisions they've made that may have been challenging or, poor at the time or, or whatever. And that's, that's been relegated to law enforcement, military, women's shelters, kids, uh, motorcycle clubs, uh, people that have been in all manners of trouble. You know, I I joke a lot that, that inside Wolf Brigade, we have, we have cops, criminals and everything in between. Um, and, uh, we don't, we don't apologize for that. You know, the, the day, the day that I apologize for who I help and who I decide to be friends with, um, no one will ever see me again. I'll be fucking gone. Um, that that's, that's just never going to happen. So, so people don't like my friends. Um, some of my friends have made hard choices and, and been through rough stuff and have come out better for it. And I applaud them for that. Um, there, there are weak elements of the world right now that do not applaud anyone for that. And instead what they do is they sit in their houses and, and they, 
um, target them on the internet. And, and that's, that's exactly how all of this is, has kind of manifested. Um, pe- people, people don't like others and, and won't do anything about it in person and won't do anything to better themselves uh, instead of causing trouble. And then they just cause trouble. It originated from Oregon. And uh, the, the, the article that got us in trouble, troubles in quotes, because we never did anything wrong, um, was so insane that anyone with any sort of brain in their head is going to read that thing and be like, wow, a maniac wrote this. That's the end of the story. But that's not, that's not where the world is. So people, some people took it seriously. Um, as odd as it was, um, Rogue took it seriously, even after we had killed it for three or four years selling maces with them. Um, uh, one of the people who were targeting us contacted them directly and, and they, they dropped us without even letting me know what was happening and then wouldn't respond to my communication for weeks. Um, I, I don't have anything positive to say about that at all. That was, that was one of the most disrespectful ways I've ever been handled in my entire life. Um, and I, and I wrote this in a, in a letter that I sent to him and all of his employees at the time. Um, but I offered that when, when the Arnolds came back on um, to fight Bill Henniger under any rule set that any martial art has ever set <laughs> in the history of humanity, um, and no matter how messed up I am or how injured I am or how old I am, that is on the table until the day I leave this earth. Um, that, that was disrespectful and hurt me in a way that, that I couldn't have really predicted because we were doing such a great job. Um, the, the positive door that that opened is we went back to who were our first choices in the first place, which was Sorenex. You know, when we started making maces in early 2017, they were they were the first people that I contacted. And very understandably, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't respond and, and weren't interested. And, and I understand that at the time we, we weren't, we weren't where we needed to be at the time. Um, but uh, that, that fallout ushered in uh, this new thing, which is a thousand times better fit anyway. Um, Rogue also stole other things from us. We, we gave them a product um, to co-brand um, designed, named, marketed, ready to go. And uh, instead of co-branding it, they took all of our branding off it, called it something else, um, and then gave me a tiny byline at the bottom saying, you know, designed in part by Wolf Brigade. So, so when, it come, when it comes to some of our growth setbacks, uh, that's, that's been a big one. Uh, the rogue thing getting pulled off the table right away, um, along with that same, uh, that same targeting um, for, for us being neo-Nazis. So, so just a real quick one. A lot of times lately, too, I'm wondering if anyone actually knows what Nazis are. Um, uh, and, and You know what? I've thought about this. So uh, <laughs> effectively, a Nazi is anybody that doesn't believe what you believe. That's 100% true. Because it, 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 it blows my mind. Like now, like when I think of the term Nazis, uh, I think of the uh, fucking dudes from, uh, you know, uh, Hermosa Beach, uh, Barrel Street locals who were, you know, neo-Nazi surfers that we got into a fight with and they legitimately had swastika tattoos and were doing fucking, yep. you know, salutes. And then you used to go take a step back further and I can tell you historical uh, stories of my family fighting against, you know, Nazis, both, you know, like within, you know, uh, you know World War II. So, I mean, like, 
I think of like, you know, Hitler and like what I know within history of like the neo-Nazi party and, and uh, you know, all of that stuff. But then like now it's become this term weaponized to actually refer to anybody who doesn't believe what you believe because you have such a, a high moral ground to stand on that anybody that doesn't believe what you believe must be a Nazi, which well, makes it's no a, fucking sense to me. It's a marginalization term that's painted so broadly that it it's somehow, even in its absolute severity and disgustingness, has lost credibility. Yeah. And the exposure I had to it was hardcore since I was very, very young. And, and I've well, dude, been around I mean, a, like within the punk scene in Southern California, like we would well, go to Rochester. shows. Yeah, well, and it, well, yeah, in Rochester. I, well, I mean, it was it was New York, it was massive here. New York, I don't know because I'm I'm not from there. But like as a kid, like going to rock shows, uh, you know, you would show up, and there was always like this weird war between like you know the straight edge skinheads and the neo Nazi skinheads, and you couldn't really tell them apart, and like unless you looked at the tattoos, but like the clothing was there, and like you know different colored laces. But I mean, there was a whole fucking navigation of like are these dudes gonna fuck us up no these dudes are gonna fuck us up and uh i never could uh, like i never really got to the bottom of any of it all i know is that the skinhead or the the straight edge skinheads would show up to fight the neo-nazi skinheads but they all look (laughs) like fucking skinheads to me well and and for us in rochester we were just hardcore kids you know we, we we identified with hardcore we identified with with independent culture you know critical thinking causing trouble but everybody all of it you know, any manner of anyone. So when, when we started getting more involved in shows and when I started booking a lot of shows here, it became a, it became a real important thing to make sure that that element was not involved in that scene. Because when I grew up, it was involved in that scene a lot. Um, Nazis, white supremacy, whatever you want to call it. But, but the reality is the other thing they do not do is disavow their beliefs. You know, so, so the, even just the nonsensical concept of us being something that we're not when there's 25 years of digital and otherwise proof to the contrary is the fact that as soon as someone says, I'm not that, this is ridiculous. This is terrible, whatever they'd be ostracized from this, you know, community. So when, when we grew up, we realized quickly that that stuff had to get squashed out of the scene or it was going to corrupt the scene and and we weren't going to be able to do shows here. And we weren't we weren't particularly tough kids or, or anything like that, but we were strategic and and we'd been in a bunch of trouble and and so we made sure that 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 stuff didn't come back. Um, and you know I'm I'm not trying to mystify it, but I mean we we made absolutely sure that there weren't racist elements in the hardcore scene here by any means necessary. And so the fact that I've doubled down on that and and probably had my hands on on more Nazis than most people have ever seen with their eyes uh, made, made that an especially difficult uh, yeah. pill to swallow um, because it, it just felt, it felt surreal in a way that was like, well, is there just literally no sense left in the world? Like there there's, you know, if people are that firm in a, in a, in a disgusting belief uh, like racism, they're not going to be in a training room like the ones I've been in for 20 plus years. Well, they're, but they're uh, not, but uh, this is like the age old, like people fall, fail at the margins of their experience. Like, uh, like for me, uh, like the distinction between a straight edge and a neo-Nazi within like the skinhead realm, like they looked very similar in kind of like, you know, like if you look at them, but yet 180 difference in beliefs of like, 
you know, we're inclusive. We're going to go fucking fight these motherfuckers because of who they are. And like, but then the problem is, is that people that have one have never been in that scene, don't understand it and are looking from the outside, just paints everybody with that brush because they all kind of look alike. Like, oh, you got a shaved head. You got a tattoo on your head. You know, you're tatted up. You got a beard. I mean, this guy must be because he he has all the the makings of this individual. And I don't understand the distinctions in who people are. Like you're talking about like, you know, hardcore. I mean, dude, like all these different subgenres that like, you know, fit within like skating and BMX or, you know, or mm-hmm. dirt bikes or, you know, like I was uh, like I saw some uh, um, commercial for the Super Bowl with like cartoon in it, you know, like the tattoo artist. And he was talking about lowrider okay. culture and this and like, okay. you know, like, dude, that's I, crazy. Yeah. But I mean, it was, that's it was crazy. wild. Like he, he was like, I've seen like, you know, he was talking about like tagging on the 405 and hanging off of, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, overpasses and this and like how the tagging. In the Super Bowl? Uh, well, it was, uh, it wasn't a rat or uh, like within, I think it was uh, on like a Coors Light or a Bud Light. It was some commercial like around the Super Bowl. And I mean, first and foremost, that's amazing. Yeah, because those because those dudes are legit as it gets, but like they are not mass they are not mass consumption. No, but I mean, uh, cartoons like fucking San Pedro, you know, like yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. lowrider culture. Jeez. Like I mean, I like the growing up in the South Bay, uh, like so all of these things, which is crazy, is people like oh, it's obviously got gang culture. Well, some of it, but like the like the lowrider stuff, especially like the uh, like the old time, like you know, um, uh, like was it like the white fences? would be like one of like the oldest gangs in LA for like Mexican gangs. I mean, uh, like those, like the low rider scene. I mean, all of these scenes, which I mean, like, like even like the low rider bicycles, like all of that stuff, uh, which I'm sure, you know, the BMX stuff, you see those crazy ass bikes that those dudes would, would take to the swap meets. And, um, but like, there's all these distinctions in, in this, but like, if you're on your fucking ivory tower, they all look the same. You know, it's, it's, it's like, you you know, like when you're standing at 10,000 foot from your ivory tower, where a lot of these motherfuckers, like you said, the internet, like they don't know these people, they're not going out there, you know, they're not going to fucking Marley Fest in Long Beach and seeing the different people that show up. They're not interacting, but you know what they do? They stand up there with their ivory tower and they paint everybody with the picture because it's easier just to fucking splash it. It, it, It's a hundred percent true. And I mean, and it also really it, it does happen very often in training too. How, how many times have people either found you or intentionally not found you because they simply thought it was CrossFit because you do more than one thing on more than one day. Yeah. You know, we, we've, we've gotten that a million times, you know, even recently we've had, you know, doctors recommend to people that were previously injured uh, to continue playing their sport, but to not get into any sort of CrossFit style activity. You know, and it's like, okay, you're going to, you're going to encourage a guy to go back to playing hockey, but not strengthen himself to play that sport as a 40 something, 50 something year old man. So yeah, people, people stand above it all and and look over with, with a, you know, kind of a glaring eye and, and don't take any time to make distinctions. And, and wow, we, we got caught with our pants down on that. We had worked. But how do you, but like, how do you defend, like, like. You can't defend yourself from it and you can't necessarily get in front of the optics because how did you know? Like, I mean, somebody all of a sudden writes some article or writes something and paints you in this deal. You're like, if you contacted me ahead of ahead of time, I could have run this off. But like once the fucking the stone is cast at that point. We've learned some pretty interesting things about that, too. And and one of them is um, 
that you can manufacture information on the internet. And if your server is in another country or you, you know, your IP address is masked or something like that, you're literally unfindable. There, there is, there is no repercussions. There is no accountability. And so realistically, if someone doesn't care about ruining something that someone's worked hard on, they don't have to, uh, because it's not like, it's not like the world when it was real, which is, which is there's actually accountability for, for, for things you do that hurt others. Um, and, and I think for, for me, the, the rogue thing from a, from a financial standpoint, a business standpoint was, it was a setback. Um, but I, I, once the dust settled on that, um, it was also interestingly transpired, um, the Thursday night before our yearly convergence event. So, uh, the Friday before the event was an interesting time to try and pivot on that. Um, I've always wondered if that was intentional or not. Um, but, but the, the biggest loss for us is we had worked very hard to get a kids program in, in the public schools here, uh, in Rochester and, and, um, <laughs> Wolf Brigade Cubs. Um, it was tremendous. It was tremendous. Um, tremendous. Like they, they did, the girls did such a great job. Uh, I helped as much as I possibly could. Um, they absolutely killed it. These were, these were kids that, that all of a sudden had camaraderie and physicality and, and all this different stuff. Um, and the same folks from Oregon that wrote the fake article, um, got in touch with rogue, all this kind of stuff went as far as having phone blitzes done to the school here. Um, and public schools are, are weak-minded and fragile. And sure. I also, in saying that, I also understand how shocking a thing that would be to hear about something that's happening under your umbrella. Um, and they kicked it, you know? So, so at that point, um, I had to sit, I had to sit back and calibrate uh, pretty hard because the reality is um, I'm a really professional person and, and I'm also really not a very professional person. Um, and, and I've, I've helped a lot of really good people, but I've also helped a lot of really bad people. And um, when all this started getting more and more serious, I, I had to decide how serious we wanted to let it get. Um, and I think I did a, a pretty professional thing by kind of taking one for the team there. Um, and we moved past it and, and we, you know, we, we stayed true to our message and, and we didn't change anything that we did. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't whine and cry about it. I told people very factually what had gone down and that's all you can really do. You know, if, if, if you start engaging those people online, they're going to be better at that because that's all they do. You know, they're, they're yeah. not, they're not, they don't have a, they don't have seven to eight hours a day of doing productive activities in an hour a day to goof around on the internet. It's the opposite. Um, the other thing you don't do is apologize because unless you're actually sorry, they're going to take that as guilt. Um, and well, and well, look at the Joe Rogan deal, you know, I mean, uh, uh, so a little history on that. It comes out that, uh, it was a super PAC that had about a 20 people that listened. I, I think they, Rogan has 210 days total and total hours of podcasts. So a group of 20 people took two weeks to scrub all that for 12 clips of him dropping the N-bomb um, and pulled it out of context. I mean, one of them was sitting there with a bunch of black dudes discussing why this word is culturally okay for you guys, but is cultural death. I mean, like, so like there's context and, you know, they push this thing out there, not as a means to cancel Joe Rogan, but as a means to show how powerful their pack is in terms of cancer culture. 
so that they're trying to gather donations so that people that want them to weaponize shit, because if they can take down Rogan, they can. And, you know, Joe goes in there and, uh, you know, I mean, what has that guy ever done? Just being a, a thoughtful, interesting person that's looking to educate himself that has this amazing platform where he that's gives exactly people right. the ability to come on. And like he's a, a, a thoughtful, creative, interesting, uh, you know, uh, pot smoking, liberal comedian, martial artist uh, dude who has a podcast where he has long form discussions with interesting people. And yeah, uh, yeah. like so what's the reason? Well, yeah, I mean, but what they hate about it is that they can't control the narrative because he doesn't know what the narrative is. He's going into it with the same kind of innocence exactly right. uh, of like, hey, I'm going to bring these people on. I'm going to have a meaningful discussion. And if the information is intelligent, I'll probably change my opinion of something. So he's going into it open ended. The people that are upset about this are like, like this is the fucking worst thing in the world. And then you have different people like The Rock, for example, who is like, you know, hey, you know, uh, uh, you know, gives them a, a message of support. And then some fucking white lily uh, liberal uh, professor who's never done a fucking thing in this world literally chastises The Rock, who is like black and Samoan, who grew up, you know, welfare, the whole deal has built himself into like one of the most dynamic individuals ever to walk this fucking planet acquiesces to this piece of shit instead of being like hey i'm a person of color like i'm i'm black and samoan believe me who the fuck are you to i mean and so what blows me so many times is like companies like a rogue for example that are so big or like the rock or these other individuals that have such a fucking platform to be like fuck off we're going to support or we're going to support and you know what if yeah. we hemorrhage a little bit we're going to back yeah. good people and they don't and like like when the rock fucking acquiesced on that i'm like you are the biggest star on the planet. You could have been like, you know, I mean, like, a, a, a you know, I know the fighter Izzy who just fought uh, for the UFC. They asked him and he's like, I'm yeah. black. I'll take this one. Joe Rogan's yeah. an amazing individual. And I've been around a lot of bad people. End of fucking discussion. You have a Dave Chappelle. I mean, like, that's right. The, it, it just blows me away. And I've, and and this is the one that that fucking torches me. The purveyors of this, what you're talking about, are usually uh, middle aged affluent white liberals mm -hmm. and i'm like how are you guys the fucking bastion how are you the defenders of, of what you view well, as being like this it doesn't make any sense to me I, I mean when we triangulated that's exactly what was happening in oregon with exactly those people you know and it, it, it it's i don't know it's really interesting though that part of the blame is is just on the general public because if people don't care about truth and people won't dig below the surface when they know right now the surface is corrupted. How, how much of it is about who's being attacked or who's doing the attacking and how much is it of it is about who's receiving it and not being discerning. I mean, at, at, at some level, people are responsible for their own intake and output and your intelligence is a byproduct of what you're willing to believe. If, if you believe everything that you're ever told, you're very likely to be a gigantic fucking moron. And what, well, what I think is, <laughs> I told I, uh, my, my wife and I battle on this because everything I hear, I assume is bullshit. And she's like, and, and I, I tell her it's the best place to start. If you assume everything's bullshit, now you walk everything back and then you have to find ways for people to prove if you believe everything you hear, then we're, then what framework do you work from? So like yeah. if I hear something, yep. I'm like, ah, I don't know, like a, a like a class example when the the Nick Sandman kid with the uh, the MAGA hat and you remember that video they showed when I saw it, I was like, yo, this shit ain't right. And people were like, like death threatening that kid. And then the video comes out. 
the poor kid's standing there. The dude gets in his face and this whole thing. And I'm like, people were willing to burn that kid to the ground because they saw a few second clip. And all I thought was like, this looks like bullshit to me. There's way more to this story. Don't fucking throw this kid on the funeral pyre. But you know what? Uh, and the amount of people that were like, I knew uh, a smug kid like that. And for him, you know, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When did we start fucking cutting people's heads off for the first thing yeah. that we see? Like, yeah. like, uh, well, like, uh, like, don't like, shouldn't an intelligent person be forced to have to get all the information before they make a decision? It just feels like it's so emotional. Well, pe- people are projecting anything they hear onto the worst versions of it that they've ever seen. And that's also an impossible thing to do. Um, I mean, and the, the context the context issue, if the last unfortunate two years has taught us anything, it's that context is a word that may have a different definition in the dictionary at this point. Um, pe- people don't even consider it anymore. And that's crazy. That's crazy because that makes having any sort of independent or unique or differing opinion um, a liability. It, it's it's going to make it's going to make counterculture and, and independent culture very very different in the last in the next ten years or so. You know, there's going to be people that double down and, and go really, really reckless and hard with it. And then there's going to be others that, that write and, and produce and, and, you know, put forth watered down BS versions of what they would have because they're afraid of, of having to contend with, with difference of opinion or, or even like animosity, you know, acrimony. That, that's, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting. There's a couple of bands from L.A. right now that, that I really like a lot. Um, that have just gone the other direction. Like they've, they're, they're, they put out a couple of records that are just mean, reckless, like some of the hardest stuff I've heard. They're doing shows under some of the LA underpasses um, where like they're having to fly choppers. The cops are having to fly choppers over to try and like break these things up. They, they just basically took the lawless, lawlessness that's going on and built a culture around it. Um, and, and I respect that a lot more than I do the people that are going to, tailor their message because they're afraid of, of getting, you know, Joe Rogan, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, but there's going to be, there's going to be differences in how, in how culture evolves based on people's fear. And I understand it because it really, really sucks. Well, I mean, the idea that, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know, man, like it just feels crazy to me that, uh, that people would attempt to cancel an individual because, he was asking questions of people that might have a position that might be contrarian to what, uh, you know, the accepted, uh, accepted narrative. Like, um, well, they I were just, taught that they were taught that by the government and mass media in the last well, but, but, three years. But you know? when like, here's what blows my fucking mind. Right. You got, uh, um, you know, Neil Young and all these artists who, you know, performed at Woodstock. When it was like, don't trust anybody over the age of 30 and the government's the bad guy. I mean, we're in the middle of Vietnam. Like there was an idea that, you know, Richard Nixon, Watergate, that we were being lied to. I mean, that was this counterculture, this hippie culture, this, you know, uh, anti-war, you know, like like that was the whole free love movement was based upon the fucking government is your parents and they're fucking lying to us. and It's bad. And then all of a sudden you have Neil Young who is like, pull my stuff off because he's putting disinformation, which is disinformation to that, what the government's putting out. So I'm like, wait right. a minute. So eventually does everybody just become their parents? Do you get to the point where you're <laughs> like, well, you know, I didn't trust the government 40, 50 years ago, but now all of a sudden the government's not lying to us. Uh, like I, I like, I, I mean, interesting, I, I interesting. Am, like my head fucking pops off 
Uh, we try not to talk about it too much in the podcast because I know Harry will be like, oh, what do you guys want to talk about? People are like, don't discuss anything political. Uh, but uh, I feel like at least once or twice a day, like my head explodes because I'm so confused. I'm like, how one, how are people getting to this narrative? How are people getting this information? And more importantly, what happened to critical thinking? And, and I've, I've come to the conclusion that it's easier to cultivate and to move the masses and be able to like, uh, uh, you know, sequester them and move them and like get them to do with fear. Because I always had the thought, and this is this is total naive, like naivety of me. Um, I always felt that like ignorance and a lot of this stuff was because people didn't have access to information. That like information was, uh, you know, that's why library cards are free, right? Was yeah. the idea of like, you know, yep. what we're going to open up the libraries to everybody. We're going to make information easily attainable. I thought that the internet was going to give people access to information to the point where it would like hyper jump people that like, you know, ignorance and uh, um, bigotry and racism, all, all these other things were because people didn't have access to like information. Like you couldn't read, you know, uh, you know, Tony Morrison and this and just like this uh, amazing thing that was going to happen on the Internet. And I was totally fucking wrong. Well, it's I, not I, I was, it's not access to information. I, I was wrong, too. And and when I started when I started knowing that I was wrong, um was, was when social media started to gain popularity and, and, and I don't give myself credit for much, but I, I did think that people were going to be able to use this gigantic access to information to reflect more clearly on history and ultimately, hopefully not completely repeat it. But then even early on in social media, you started to see how much negativity was happening over nothing. Like people were just, people were just projecting the worst things in their life onto the first available target. And that just, that's just magnified in the last however many years. And, and to the idea of becoming your parents, geez, I mean, that, that used to be almost a positive, you know, like you, you dress a little better, you'd be a little sharper, you'd be a little bit more composed. Maybe you'd be a little stodgy or fussy or something like that. But like, now it's the idea of like, well, your parents were a bunch of fucking rollovers. Are you are you going to end up being like your parents? Um, well, the, the problem the is, it's our generation. Uh, it's it's uh, you know, and and that's the fucking scary thing for me. And I think why I, I and to, to to try to loop this back, I think why I so playing in the NFL, and I've said this before on the podcast. Uh, you live in this really strange bubble. Like, I mean, it's 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 the tightest bubble you've ever seen. Where like all your friends are other NFL players, you know, you hang out with this, you go to these places and you just kind of assume everybody is a professional athlete. Like the training facilities here where we go, it's just kind of like it's the currency. And then when you retire and I kind of got out and uh, all of a sudden there was this entire world of people that I just hadn't been access to. And when I saw the CrossFit stuff, it blew my mind that there were one that were because I just assumed that the rest of the world didn't really train. I just thought that people went to 24 hour fitness and did a yoga class and maybe did spin. Like I didn't know that there were actually non-professional athletes banging barbells and training like that. Yeah. Like that fucking blew my mind. Okay. And when it came to the CrossFit stuff, I was like, man, one, I didn't know there was normal people like civilians, uh, like just normal people that were willing to work this hard. And I thought, if anything, here was this collection of people that were kind of uh, bought in on a little bit of shared suffering, uh, community camaraderie. Uh, you know, like even though you might work virtually on the internet, you're showing up and you physically have to do it. And uh, I thought that like this potentially would be like uh, like the new age version of church. I mean, that was how people forever, you know, people would move to a neighborhood, join the local church that became their community where they sent their schools. And that became kind of like the, the social structure. And as 
you know, to quote Nietzsche, is uh, religion starts to die. Uh, you know, people find new ways to connect. And I figured like the, you know, go down to the local CrossFit gym, you move to town, that's where you go yeah. train and that becomes your connection. Yep. And then it came to the point where like that became bullshit. So then people drag their stuff home and start training in their garage and then their neighbors yeah. would come over and like yeah. that. And we've seen like this rise of the garage gym stuff. But what's amazing is that the people that are banging barbells and the people that are into maces and kettlebells and what whatever are all pretty accurate because they go in and there's some form of hard work. There's shared, some shared suffering. They've had to humble themselves at some point to have somebody take them on this journey because nobody walks in day one and can do it themselves. And if they think yeah. they can, they, they fucking are lost. So <laughs> I, I, I think that there's like this kind of mentorship journey that everybody goes. And I think why we identify with people that train, whether it be like, you know, Sornex, like I know you've connected pretty well with Brandon Lilly and Bert and those guys, like there's a shared uh, piece of like, you know, whether it be, you know, I mean, uh, like the amount of times I walked into a CrossFit gym and seen uh, quotes from Henry Rollins on the wall. You know, and, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, I mean, dude, I, I remember seeing him, you know, in Black Flag and like all, you know, all that sub pop stuff. And like, uh, I mean, that was the coolest shit ever. And that was the stuff that we subscribed to. And there was this whole group of people. But I guarantee it's the people that are within that training thing aren't the ones that are buying into this bullshit. So, I no. mean, like, you know, man, you're, you're 100 percent right. And and that, that was one of the most interesting things is is that even people that we have never met, but from all corners of the earth. We're the first ones to be like, you've got, you've just absolutely got to be kidding me. You know, when, when people started coming after us, it was, it was the people that were actually paying attention. And a lot of people that we had helped, you know, improve at paying attention, uh, that, that were, that were our biggest defenders, not that we needed defending again, because the reality is this was just, it was, you know, for us, it was just pure victimization, uh, a victim of circumstance type stuff. But for, for, for most people now, I mean, the, the, the scene, whether it's music or whether it's fitness or something like that has, has been kind of the only bastion of sanity and, and the only kind of, you know, place to, to critical think and, and have a focus group that isn't this digital situation because people have been so shut down and, and relegated to kind of what they can control, you know, within just in front of their eyes. If, if you haven't been training the last two years, um, I, I don't know, I don't know how, how people are doing it. We've, we've helped a lot of people remotely, but you know, the idea of taking the gym off the table for people because the government told us to at a time when they needed it most, we needed it most. I mean, absolutely, absolutely no, absolutely no chance. I mean, there's that, that's a shield that I'll go out on. And, and when I say that, I mean, it literally, you know, come and try and close my gym. I, I don't know if I, but so the reality of that is we, we weren't going to play that game because it's the wrong game. Sure. Um, the, 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 the whole, the whole crux of everything that went down here is that everyone segmented so quickly and everyone started believing everything, you know, you, you know, you mentioned the Neil Young thing. And then um, that was extra funny too, because I don't really know too much about Neil Young, but I, I went and searched on Spotify the other day because I was thinking that's a fucking snow job. There's no way that dude is going to pull his music off there because he's probably making like, I mean, I would imagine a lot of money. Well, I have no idea what these guys make. Lo and behold, it's back on there. So I, I actually shared that in, a, in an Instagram story and, and I don't care about that, but I knew that that was BS. Um, and then someone sent me a thing about um, Howard Stern in, in a very similar way. 
you know, and, and of course you guys remember he had, he had every parent in the nineties turned upside down thinking their kids were going to end up like sex addicted Satanists, you know? And, and now in, in 2020, 2021, 2022, this is a dude saying, I want to go outside my house again, just get your shots and wear a mask and shut up and take it, you know? And it's like, it's like, man, how many people have become absolute government shills that five years ago thought about themselves as fully functioning independent adults? I I, I almost wonder if like uh, they had like video of, uh, you know, Stern having sex with chickens or something. And they like as he's coming, like to put out a deal, they like send him the video and they're like, here's the narrative. We're putting out the chicken fucker videos <laughs> like it's almost like a movie like that where you're like. Uh oh fuck okay what do you want me to say don't don't tell the world I'm a chicken fucker like uh, like it's oh it's, it's it's almost that bad where you hear these narratives I mean the rock fucking did it like the amount of celebrities and here's another thing when when did we fucking put celebrities on some ivory tower that they become the 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 fucking like like the the compass, like the North Star for what's right and wrong. It's always yeah, been that I, way. It hasn't. Yes, it has. But, uh, but like, wait, I, like I, like I, I like I, certain certain elements of culture. It's always been that way. Other elements think about of actors, culture, right? So you yeah. have actors who get paid to basically play a part. You're like, so you get paid to lie really well, better than the other guy, and I'm gonna yep. somehow buy in. Okay, it's yeah. Madonna, Same as John Wayne. Hey, smoke camel cigarettes. Like Madonna's out there. I'm like, uh, like a virgin. I'm like, I'm like, uh, like. Like these, yeah. like it fucking blows my mind. Like, I, like, do I respect what they've accomplished? One hundred percent. But at the end of the day, am I voting or am I uh, basing my belief system around uh, what celebrities? Because Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, says that global warming and, and climate change and this other stuff. Like, am I buying into it? No, I would rather talk to Professor John Sapolsky, who we had on the podcast, who's doing his PhD in marine biology and can discuss in the water literally. How uh, the climate is changing as it relates to coral reefs. Now, to me, that's much better than fucking Leonardo DiCaprio, who doesn't date a chick over 25. Like, I'm not putting any fucking faith in him. Well, part, part of it is what people are exposed to when they're younger, too. Like, I, I, I give hardcore credit for an awful lot of things, and I give BMX credit for an awful lot of things. But when I was younger, having relatively direct access to the people that were at the top of those food chains, and for the most part, them treating me really well, told me everything I need to know about celebrity culture. You know, if, if a celebrity is unattainable, if a celebrity is going to treat me differently than they would treat a nice, normal person or anything like that, I have no use for them. I have no interest in them. You know, I mean, I, I, I watch movies and I enjoy entertainment as much as anyone else, but I, I don't think I've ever like personally bought into anything that someone at that level of success has said. And, and, the, the flip side of that is I, I believe that so many do now that they impact really, really important stuff, you know? And, and I, I think it's at some point we can stop talking about politics, but for, for me, I was upset because I believe that the rock probably shifted where we are right now into existence by backing Biden so hard. Oh, and, and, and the I, whole and I deal think, where he was like, uh, you know, where is our leader? That whole deal, which didn't age I, well. Cause they were hiding Biden in the fucking basement. And they, well, I think, uh, no, I, I mean, I dude, they, like they did an incredible job 
the the political handlers and the the people in the think tanks painted Joe Biden as uh, Uncle Joe, the guy with some you know aviators who was Obama's sidekick, and you know good old Uncle Joe coming in, he's going to be like Obama third term, and they. COVID hit, so they didn't have to go out on the road. They could keep him, you know, kind of sequestered. And they built this image of who he is, which isn't who he is. And it's never been who who he is. If you go back and you look at any of his stuff, and they did a really good job of painting him. Now, Trump, uh, who I've never, I mean, uh, like so many problems with, 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 you know, with him, uh, like, you know, and like the fact that people are like, well, we, you know, this is all who we were given and we couldn't go with Trump. And it's like at the end of the day, when you feel like you have to vote for somebody because you can't vote for the other, our fucking system is broken. It's, ter- and, it's terrifying. And, and the it's fact terrifying. that we're stuck within this two party system where it's either I got this guy or I got this guy and I don't like yeah. any of them, but I no. have to pick one. And so now you're voting for the lesser of two evils when the image for one guy is completely manufactured, which we've seen over and over again. I mean, dude, I, and I've said it on the podcast, it's fucking elderly abuse. Right. They're putting up an 80 year old man who obviously has some form of dementia and Alzheimer's has something going on neurologically and are putting him up there. And the fact yes. that they keep wheeling him out uh, like breaks my heart because his wife and his kids and people, they have to be close enough to see this because we see. Of course, it. of course. But we're, 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 what I think we're losing in the shuffle one. Someone like The Rock should have had should have had all that information that you just said. The background should have been checked before someone with that much influence goes out and, and touts someone like that. And, and, and two, I don't believe that anyone involved in anything that's going on right now has any type of scruples about it based on anyone's age or disability or anything. Um, because if they did at some point during this, they would have said, okay, look, we made some mistakes. Our concern is America. We want to get things back to normal. We want to help you not go out of business. We want to help you uh, not become addicted to drugs not become lifetime unhealthy, uh, not have your children corrupt, developing speech impediments and, you know, communication disabilities and all this different type of thing. And they haven't. And, and so, so to me, regardless if it was, if it was Trump, regardless if it was fucking Dwight Eisenhower, I don't give a fuck. If, if you can get this far into the well and, and not look at what you're doing to your people, you're trash, you know, and, and you, your family is trash and, and your and your your supporters are trash. And, and that's the end of the story. Um, you know, I, I know that I've had maybe more more experience in some anyway, talking to people who are in a lot of these unfortunate situations because. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty accessible and I'm not as good as I'd like to be at it, but I'm good at replying to people, even if it's strangers and pe- people are lost. I mean, people, people lost their businesses. They, they felt like they lost their sanity. They lost their identities. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, um, I've, I've gotten messages from a lot of men that really felt like they, they kind of lost their manhood because they couldn't pull off what they needed to, to keep their family sanctity, you know, sad, sick stuff. And, and from young people, messages that are, that no one would want to read. Um, and, and, when something is avoidable and that terrible and it's still pushed forward, then how are you supposed to have any faith in the system that pushed it forward? Um, you know, hardcore taught me that early when I was 12 or 13, just based on reading lyrics and listening to people that were smarter than me and then reading the books that they told me to read. 
Um, but there's no chance I ever thought it would manifest to this degree. I mean, no, no, no one, I don't think anyone did, you know, I, I've known, of course, known thought that something shifty would happen within culture or government or something like that. But for them to just wash their hands of us and throw us in the toilet, um, and not try and fish us out. I mean, you know, sometimes if it walks like a duck, it's just a duck. And, and that's how, that's how I feel about really any, anyone that has bought into any of this now is, is there's a line in the sand now and it's, it's, it's self-protection and it's protection of those that you care about. And, and that's really gotta be it. No, the, well, the, uh, the biggest benefit to this entire thing has been one, the alcohol companies. I mean, dude, like they're printing money. I mean, and like the My rate God. of suicides, alcoholism. I mean, dude, if just imagine, in, just in imagine. hindsight, five years ago, we should have fucking not done power. I think we should have opened up a, a, like a bourbon. It's not too late. I mean, we have a long range plan. It's not too late. No, it's not too late. Like just you like I, alcohol I, is a growth industry. Uh, oh, well, um, so what's wild is uh, they were like, oh, you know, lockdowns this COVID thing's been great because uh, we haven't had as many people dying of drunk driving. But we also have had a like a 1000 in, increase of people getting drunk in like domestic violence. So it's like, oh, people aren't getting drunk and driving around their cars, but they're sitting home and beating the shit out of their wife and kids. So like it's just like and I realize everything, uh, you know, like it's unfortunate, like in, uh, you know, what happened with COVID. But what's so interesting and, and actually Joe Rogan made a great point on his podcast uh, about it where, you know, there's certain things that six months ago you would have been canceled for that now effectively have come out. Like, uh, you know, we know that the masks don't stop transmission. Uh, we know that the, you know, the vaccine was never designed to stop transmission, but a year ago or six months ago, he said that people would have fucking burned you at the stake. And That's so true, it's pretty true. interesting yep. that like your positioning and your timing with the information is coming out. Like I, I, I sometimes wonder if the machine is moving so fast that what somebody said six months ago doesn't even exist anymore because there's so much information that like, you know, but then of course people go back and find a tweet that a dude did 12 years ago or sift all of Joe Rogan's podcast to look for, you know, uh, him How insane you know, is that? poorly choosing to drop the end bomb. I mean, and it, what's How interesting is, is, is he even said, he's like, like watching the way they did it, I'm super embarrassed. But if you go back and you actually watch the context, I mean, is it right? No. Uh, but within the context, like at least there is an explainable deal for it. But to weaponize that in such a way and then to figure out who weaponized it and how they were trying to use it is, uh, you know, it's basically you think he's untouchable. Watch this. We're going to fucking try to get him canceled. And when we do now, we're going to have the power because we can take down anybody. My and God. So, I mean, that's how I mean, people- like what, what is what is this conversation that we're having? It just it, it actually just sounds like nonsense. You know, if, 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 if we if we were to listen to this four years ago, we would be sitting here going, what in the name of God are they talking about? So I posted and, a uh, I think it was a meme or it was something that like, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to reach into your pocket and you're going to find this mask and you're going to scoff and laugh. And then you throw on your, your your scarf and get your gun ready and you go out into the abyss to try to steal gasoline. And yeah. it's like it was a pretty one I've, uh, funny meme I posted. But it's pretty true. Like I, I put on a jacket the other day and there was a mask in there and I was like, oh, shit, like this is how long that this has been going on that like a jacket that I hadn't worn in over a year has a mask in the pocket. And well, it's I'm like, going to I'm going to reveal something that I've never revealed right now on Power Athlete Radio. <laughs> and it's that I've had one mask since the beginning of the pandemic. And it's one of those <laughs> it's one of those black sleeves. And uh, I only wore it when when physically forced to wear it 
And when I've gone to the hospital or needed to go to the doctor or something, they, they always ask you if you have one of the other masks underneath it. You know, and I say, well, no, of course I don't, you know, and then sometimes they'll make you switch it out. But I'm, I'm very pleased that I did my part for conservation by having one mask for, for the for the uh, entire pandemic. It's um, uh, I, I'd and, like uh, what I'm and uh, not to belabor this point fucking much longer, but I'm so glad. Who are you to scoff at me? I chuckled. Oh, so you're scoffing at me. Uh, I am so I glad it is a chuckle that we grew up in the time at which we did. Um, and I fucking, I hate when people say that shit, but like, I try to tell my kids, I'm like, we grew up in a time before social media, before cell phones, before this level of access. Like I, I maybe I've talked about it here, but the one thing which is hilarious is, uh, like we'll call my mom, like we called my mom yesterday for Valentine's day. And, um, I realized that my kids have zero phone etiquette because there wasn't a phone, you know, like when mm-hmm. we came in the house, we had a phone like right by the front door. And yep. it would ring and your mom, you'd be like, go answer the phone. And you'd have to go answer the phone. You pick it up and you're like, you know, well-born residents. And you would have to talk to somebody. You would have phone etiquette. And then you have yeah, to take sure. down the notes and hang up. And then be like, mom, so-and-so called. Here's the number. And yeah. there's like a whole phone etiquette we have that my kids don't have. Because when we don't have a house phone and they don't answer my phone. So like all of a sudden they get on the phone to talk to grandma and they don't really say shit. And I'm like. Uh, and my mom's like, what's wrong with them? I'm like, they have no phone etiquette. They weren't forced to actually be social on the phone because that's not how they are. And then like yeah. telling them, I'm like, yeah, uh, you know, like if we had to get picked up, we used to like make phony collect calls. Remember that one? You're like, mom, pick me up. And they hang up on you. Oh, or, or, or like, Man, I, I mean, all, all these I random booked, things. I booked entire tours with a phone dialer. It was a little box that some nerds made that sounded like coins. And when you held it up to the receiver of a payphone. It sounded like the coins were dropping in there and it would actually work. And, well, and so we did that just, with a uh, mini tape recorder where we recorded <laughs> the phone because we got it off of, uh, I think, Jerky it, Boys? no, it was, uh, there was a deal where like these kids are like, oh, if you basically put in the money, you basically record it and then you can just put it up to the receiver and the sound and then that's how you did it. But yeah, that's what we did. No idea that works. Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. So, so and like, it worked and it saved thousands and thousands of dollars of, 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 you know, long distance call at the time, long distance calls at a time when I didn't have two nickels to rub together, but I needed to book a tour halfway across the country, you know? So it's it, but, before nine uh, 11, things were the wild, wild like, west. Like we would get, we'd come home from schools. We would get on our bikes and we'd go right around the neighborhood looking for our buddies and we would find them because their bikes would be in front of somebody's house. And we'd be like, Oh, like we didn't like, there wasn't like people come on yeah. different buses, whatever. We had like central meeting places. If they weren't there, you just rode to your buddy's house. You'd see where the bikes were and you would get off and, you know, go into the house. And like, that was yep. how we existed. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, like this whole, like, I mean, uh, like this is the one that blows my mind. Like the kids can go and turn on the TV and there's something cool to watch all the time. Endlessly. I told the kids, I was like, when we came home, like you turn on the TV, there was nothing ever fucking good on. It was either sure. the news or yeah. mash, which I do like mash, but like, uh, maybe Bonanza, like, I, like there was no fucking cool TV shows. And we just would like, oh, turn it on. You turn it off and you go outside because nothing was there. I, I tell the kids, uh, my kids, I'm like, I don't know if I would have been mounted to much if I had this much access to TV. Like, I remember my brothers and I, like, like if we had this, we would have fucking watched everything. Well, and 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 in, in my opinion, I think about this a lot, too, is it's access to, to TV, of course, but it's access to distraction. And, and I've, 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 I've fallen prey to this too. I mean, my, my attention span based on either pain or injury or, or even just, just being overwhelmed with information 
has changed in the last five or 10 years in ways that I don't like. Uh, I mean, as a kid in my entire life, I, I was, I would just read and think and write and draw and run around and make shit and, and whatever. And, and I still do a lot of those things, but the constantness of the distraction is, is a, is a real limiting factor for, for people's development. Um, and, and we see it even, even in adults, um, you know, phone etiquette is, is a really great, is a really great example of it. But, you know, again, they're not having to think twice about what to do. They just turn something on and there's something on, you know, they're not having to think twice about who's going to tell them the next thing because someone is always telling them the next thing. Everything has been, has been so automated that it would be really impossible to develop as an independent thinker. Like people would have when we were younger, you know, I hate saying that too, because I no, still I, feel I, mostly 17. I, but Dude, I believe me. I still think the exact same way. I, I like, I, yeah, I mean the, uh, and, and to, to go back to it, I, I'm so glad that we grew up in a time where like, I mean, uh, like, I mean, just the amount of reading like the fact that like my kids, like they've never been, or like we've taken them to the library, but I'm like, we used to just go to the library. My mom would take us, we'd be there for three hours. I'm like, uh, yeah. or like, you know, like, uh, uh, in college, like not having access to Google or the internet. So we physically had to go to the stacks, had to go to the library. You're digging through all this stuff. You got microfiche. You're like reading this and this. And yeah. like, it's, and you know, the Dewey Decimal System. I mean, all of these things, because information was housed in this building and I had to get something done. I had to go there and fucking comb it out. I just couldn't sit back and fucking type it in and have the world fucking given to me on a platter. And I think what it's done is it's, it, I mean, it's made us fucking lazy. And I think the one of the coolest things about this podcast and things like Winter Strong and Summer Strong and different events is that you get a chance to go out and instead of looking at something from behind a screen, you're actually interacting with amazing individuals that are doing cool shit, which opens your horizon. And well, uh, I, mean, I mean, like, I, I, yeah, I, I, I haven't been as disengaged from my phone for three days as I was the day that I was traveling and then the couple of days down at Sorenex and, and um the impact that it had on my stress level and, and just my general cloudiness was significant. Um, and then to, to run back to the very, very beginning of the podcast, you, you know, you mentioned the library, the, the, the book, theft of the age, uh, the, the, the fiction, the novel, um, one of the main settings was this library in, in, in the town that I grew up. And when I went to, when I went to write that book and, and put those pieces of that puzzle together, it was like, I was still sitting in there. You know, I, I remembered the mobiles that were hanging from the ceiling. I remembered the layout of the place. So I could kind of, you know, reconstruct it when, when the, when the scenes in the, in the book that were happening were in the library. And, and that was just based on the fact that when I didn't have anything else tangible going on, you would just go somewhere and be there. You know, and, and you wouldn't be sitting there looking at 20 other things. You'd be there doing that. You know, if, if, if you were, if you were playing with a crappy fishing pole at the pond, you're just playing with a crappy fishing pole at the pond. That's it. You're not doing that and simulcasting it and you know, whatever. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, so even though when I wrote that book was 20 years after I had really been in that library, maybe less than that, but not much less than that. Um, it was all still fresh because it was, it was impactful because it was just, it was just undiluted. Uh, there was, there was, there was nothing polluting it at the time. It was just it. That that's, that's so sad that that's lost because I mean, that that's the stuff that that's the stuff that builds identity. I think um, more so than, 
than anything someone can tell you is, is engagement in a process, engagement in a place, um, whether it goes well or goes poorly, just buckling in and, and sitting there and taking it. Um, I, I, I see the, the ability for people to be distracted going through the roof because we train people in specific ways, technical ways, and sometimes even really, really excellent adults, very, very intelligent adults, they have to like take a minute to adapt to patience because everything in their life is moving so fast and, and the learning process is something they've been removed from for long enough that, that now it's a challenge. We've had people not come back simply because I just don't think that they enjoy learning. Um, and, and as you said earlier, no one's going to walk into a credible place and kick ass the first day. No. Um, if you do, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. yeah no, it's that uh, always be a white belt mentality. And, um, you know, I, I think as long as you're constantly striving to learn and uh, I, like I, this was pretty interesting within the fitness realm. And I think on this. I'm just constantly amazed at how quick people are to accept everything as accurate or as truth. Like in the fitness stuff, like like even like, you know, think about like the CrossFit or, or here or this or strength training. Like I've heard a ton of things over the years and there are things that I've, I've listened to and like, okay, hey, this sounds great. Now I'm going to test it. Like I, as we were talking, like thinking of like Mark Ripto when you were talking about numbers, I asked him, Rip, why fives? Five's the most powerful number. It's more powerful than, than six and four. Have you ever tried your linear progression with either of those? No. Well, we did. And fives actually worked out the best. And like, you know, when he talked to me about the linear progression, working with the amateur stuff, it made sense, but I had to go home and test it. And we tested it and it worked exactly like he said it did. So yeah. we adopted it. And I think what's, what's interesting, whether it be in fitness, whether it be training, I mean, the reason that I went to college was not necessarily to be f- filled with information, but was to be in situations to critically think and to sift through information and to have arguments and discussions and effectively, you know, sharpen my blade, knock off the corners, whatever analogy you want. But I, I went to college for growth, not to be filled. And I feel so much in our society today that we're just these empty vessels with everybody trying to pour something in. And I'm like, dude, that's not what it's about. It's about, uh, you know, interactions and like, you know, like what sucks is, uh, you know, we have this amazing podcast. You're on the other side of the screen, and I'll be stoked when I see you at at uh, Summer Strong because yeah. uh, we'll actually get yep. to sit down and rap, which is such a yep. much more um, you know robust and just such more more vibrant conversation. And I'm so bummed I missed you at Winter Strong, but like it's different, it always will be. And it, that's it, it is, but but to me, that's why we go to these events, and that's why you have your friends, and you're stoked to see people, and you have history in this, yeah. and you can you know, and it's interesting to see like you know you meet new people, and uh, you know I knew Brandon Lilly in one way, and now all of a sudden you're you know here, and you meet Bert, and it's like. It's so interesting that like this, as my buddy Rick says, when you push out to the fringe, it's one person. It's And it's like this, like, you know, you think about how connected the fringe is. And it's like, if I don't know you at this point and, you know, like how, how far are you on the fringe? And when you meet people, it's usually like, oh, do you know so-and-so? And it's usually yeah. one person, yeah. you know, and I'm sure like you, you, you've run into people and you've been like, huh, do you know this person? And oh, yeah, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's, it, it's such an interesting piece and it's just. It just blows and, my and, mind. And that feels old timey in all the right ways to me too. Like, I love that. You know, I, I was, I was put in touch with a, with a really high level neurosurgeon here in Rochester by a guy that we're training remotely out in Montana, who's just a tremendous individual and, and knew that I'd been stumbling through some stuff and, and wanted to use his connections to help me. And it's like, like, that's, that's like, 
that's how the world feels real to me because that's how my world always operated. There, there was, there was this intertwining of people and sight unseen often, you know, prior to, to social media and, and, you know, phones with cameras in them and stuff sight unseen, these people would help you based on what you're into collectively. Yeah. And, and that's, that's just, that's something that's been hard for me to shake. And, and um, it's definitely gotten me in, in trouble over investing in things that weren't investing back over the years, because that's just how I like to operate. And if, 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 if I can help someone that's doing something similar, to what we do, we do, but it turns out, you know, now, nowadays that's, that's maybe not always just the best idea. You still, you still got to vet it. <laughs> well, I, I know, but uh, at the end of the day, that's who you are and you know what? Fuck them. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, I, uh, like the, I had to adopt that more than I no, like but to. Like, uh, like, <laughs> I, like, this is a weird thing. Like you're going to run into people that are pieces of shit. And they're going to do what they do because that's who they are, regardless of what you do for them. And uh, you can either change who you are or you just come to the conclusion that like, fucking there's bad people in this world. And like, give you some, um, I, I, I tried to, uh, like my wife and I, um, like my little boy, um, I, don't, I don't know if you knew this, but he got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Uh, I did know that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, t- I told you at, uh, um, at Summer, Summer Strong. Um, so... Like we've been, you know, going through this whole deal and like uh, there's this weird thing as a parent where you start feeling like, am I responsible for this? And like my wife and I like have kind of gone, you kind of go through this and they talk about, you know, anytime anything happens to kids, there's always this feeling as a parent, like, you know, am I responsible? Is it something we did? You start kind of going through your mind and you're like, you know, was it that one time you had a cupcake? And then you get to the point where, you know, you realize like bad shit happens to good people and you can't control this stuff. And you can fucking beat yourself to death. But uh, the one thing which has been really, really, really interesting, um, and I, I really hate to admit this, um, you know, this idea of karma doesn't exist. Like the idea that like somehow bad people do bad things and, you know, something, you know, there's going to be this idea that it's, it's going to roll back. It doesn't happen. And it's like, you know, God doesn't punish the wicked. He punishes the weak. And like I've come to the conclusion that in the world, it's uh, it's really evolved into this idea of people do what they or, or do what they want because they know they can get away with it instead of doing what's right. And that's what's fucking striking me really interesting at this time where people are acting in a way because they know they can get the fuck away with it and they can do this and not necessarily acting and doing what they're right. Because you know what? Because because you're letting me do this, it's like, hey, I can rob you. All right. And, and I have the right to rob you because you can't stop me. And right, that's what's right. been instead of being like, well, don't fucking rob people. That's not the right thing. No, no, it is right because I can do it. Now, if I fucking smash you or, or shoot you or defend myself, now all of a sudden, you know, are you saying that my life is is not as important as what's in your pocket? Well, obviously it was more important to you to try to take it from me. So there's been this interesting kind of deal. And and you know, even talking with my wife, I'm like, you know, like, uh, is it something we did? Who knows? Does bad things happen? Yeah. Do we deal with it? Of course. But like this idea of like karma i don't fucking buy into it anymore uh if it did uh, there'd be a lot of motherfuckers that got hit by buses but it's come to this idea that like weakness is what is what allows people to do this i've i've, I've stumbled on that a lot i've stumbled on karma and self-blame and, and things like that my, my my childhood was was okay in some respects and really really strange and challenging in others and and you know, I came up on some things that I know I could have handled differently. And, and that that's weighed on me a lot. It took, it took years for me to start to sort out the fact that it was basically lack of information and lack of awareness, not any sort of like, you know, intrinsic or inherent, like 
you know, bad in me or something that, that allowed those things to happen. And, and interestingly also, I, I had eventually perceived it as weakness. I mean, that, that's what, that's what led me to simply just being a kid that was strong because I ran around and rode BMX and got into trouble and, and played shows and carried equipment, whatever, to someone that wanted to actually pursue martial arts and then strength training and things like that was, was that awareness that, that there had to be more to strength than, than simply what I was doing. Um, if my goal was to really look out for others in the ways that I, that I seem to be inclined to do it. Um, but I, I, I stumbled on that for a long time, still do with, with, with karma and, and, and self blame and stuff. I, I, I agree with you. If karma were real and thick and heavy, there'd be a lot of people laying in the streets right now. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there isn't, um, but man, it's, it's sneaky. It's hard to think out sometimes when you do something that you're not proud of and, and you have to reflect on it. And then when, when things happen that you're not pleased with where they connected somehow, you know, well, they, it sucks. There's the, uh, um, did you ever read any of like Alex, uh, Alistair Crowley's like, uh, like, like the law yeah, of the beast sure. and all that, you yes. know, like I, yes. you know, I, I found him cause of Ozzy and, uh, you know, I, yeah. I read all those books and like, you know, like the law of the beast do as thou will, like is the only, you know, is the law of nature. Like, Every other animal on the planet does as thou will because they have the strength to do it. So why should humans right. be any different? And uh, like that's like really like the root of really Satanism. I mean the idea. That's right. That, I mean, it's, I read when I was younger. I read all that stuff. I read Anton Lavey. I read all. I read all the people that were like basically just proponents of free will at all costs. Yep. Um, a funny side note: Stanton Lavey um, uh, has a photo wearing a Helen Earth shirt from like the like mid nineties or something that he got as a gift from someone that we knew in LA. And I was like, just <laughs> let's just not. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one doesn't need to surface. But uh, like, I, like, and you know, the, the, the thing which is interesting with it is like, you have people that have taken this and, and it's almost as if they hadn't read that they've just evolved into it because of social media. Like I was trying to explain this to my kids. I'm like, what you see on social media is as fake as what we see on TV. It's as fake as, uh, you know, the Marvel Universe I saw watching Iron Man. And they're like, how is that? And I'm like, because the foot that people are putting forward is their best foot. And like, uh, uh, you know, like, do you believe that, you know, like people are, are, you know, here's my Instagram account and they have, you know, like I've, I'll send Charles stuff and be like, how expensive is the camera they're taking pictures? Charles is like, dude, that's a professional photographer, like, <laughs> you know, with a $10,000 camera doing You got to ask big man. But I mean, like, like, like there's people that are, are cultivating this idea of like persona and they're creating a character that they're pushing out and they're using this as like. Uh, you know, their channel for information They're you know, these are their own little mini movies. They're their own Marvel universe. And the well, problem you know what's is, sort is, them out. is, is we know this. Yeah. The problem is kids don't because we like, I have the perception of before and after to see the evolution and to know where it is. And I don't live in a, in, in a fantasy world for a 10 year old. How the fuck, like, how are my kids supposed to be able to navigate this stuff? I mean, I, like I hate to be the bearer of bad news all the time on this, but I'm like, this isn't the real world. This is 100% fantasy. And the problem though is, is there's becoming this blurring of lines between like, what's, you know, like the movies have become real. Well, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and people have taken that amount of Liberty with creating their identities, which is also really crazy. Um, and, and, you know, truth, fact, and proof, are like these three elements that are becoming extinct from culture 
And those are the only things that can keep exactly what you just said from happening to each generation that moves forward. If people stop losing losing perspective on the fact that fact is a real thing and proof is important in any process, how would they ever make the distinction between Marvel Comics and, and Instagram and what they see at school and what they do at home? It's all just gonna look like the same thing. Um, I, I, I try not to fall into that trap of only having our best foot forward on Instagram. I don't put out anything that we're not proud of, but it doesn't have to be our absolute best day in order for me to be proud of it. If I'm messed up from injury and I want to share people uh, how we recover from that injury or what I'm putting on someone that I learned by being banged up, that's not my best day. On my best day, I'm one of the best movers in the world on a, on a, on a day where I'm injured. I'm not. And I'm not going to not show them that. I'm just going to explain and try and articulate why that's important and why we're showing. You know, we're we're not a we're not a Hollywood production. You know, we 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 appeal to real people that that want fact and truth and proof. Um, and I think that's part of the other reason that our demographic is a little smaller than some is is you know if if we wanted to take the beautiful girls to train in our gym and put them in bikinis and and get them doing power cleans four days a week. Uh, we would have a shitload more followers, but that's just not the game that we want to play. Well, but at at the end of the day, um, you know, like, uh, I mean, the balancing of like what's authentic, like, uh, and and I know that like you know that word's lost a lot of credibility for that. And you're like, at the end of the day, I have to feel good about the product, and uh, you know, I think that there is a balance between making it marketable enough to where uh, you know it's a good product, but also staying true. And then at the end of the day. I don't want fucking everybody. If, yeah. if, if everybody's doing it, then it's effectively watered down to the point where it has no fucking soul. And we well, see we've this seen all that. Yeah. We've, we've seen, seen exactly how that one. And we're yeah. seeing it within the fitness realm where you have like, you know, these different training apps in this where like, I don't know what the fuck they espouse. Like I've, I've dug into some of these things. Like, I don't know what the principle, I don't know what it's built on. I don't know anything. I just know they have a whole lot of people because it oh, has, you know, it's, it's, it's so fucking watered down that it really isn't anything. All it is, is some fancy marketing, put a, you know, put a, a, you know, guy that looks like Chris Helmsworth and Thor with his shirt off. And obviously it must be good. I don't know what the fuck they teach, but they got Thor. So you know what? I want to fucking swing a big hammer. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. We, we made a, we made a mace video this year with BJJ fanatics and, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with it. I'm proud of it. We'll make more um, in kettlebell realms and, and just, you know, I think just movement improvement realms, but uh, in such, I've ended up seeing a lot of other videos people have made for money. And to what you just said, uh, what, what comprises the program, what comprises the strategy, what comprises the movements that are shown? I really honestly believe that the people selling that stuff have no idea. And it's really the only way that I can check the box off in my mind of not being angry about it. Because if they did know, then they'd be being flagrantly irresponsible and essentially dead ending everyone that watches that into being a beginner level for the rest of their lives. Um, the fact that they don't know is the only acceptable excuse um, because most, I mean, Again, you're the last two people I need to tell this, but people don't deep dive into program design because they're not assessing the results on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. Um, if people are tired and their bodies look okay, um, then they think they're doing a great job. But really, I mean, that's just not the end of the story. 
No, it's uh, anyway. Uh, we're well. One, I'm stoked that you that that you hooked up with the guys at Sornex. I mean, in terms of a good, you know a company in production, I mean you can't do any better and than I mean, them. I mean, our, it's our, it it and then like like I say all the time, like the Sornex stuff is pricey. It's not cheap. Uh, it's not for everybody. It, it, like there's cheaper options out there. There's probably options you can get a lot faster. But there's a reason we have all the Sornex stuff in our gym because uh, at the end of the day, my kids' kids will lift on that shit, and it looks fucking well, and dope. Man. I, I've, I've said this before and, and our, our friend Casey from, from here in Rochester introduced me to Brandon. Um, Brandon has been a, an, an ally in a way, in ways I couldn't even imagine. And, um, and the funny and is Casey from tactic calories is a uh, uh, old time CrossFit footballer. And like, yeah, I mean, dude, yeah, I mean, yeah. I knew yeah. that too. Yeah. I mean, so and, and with someone like Brandon, it's interesting too, because he would be the first person to say, and it was really funny when we first talked to, to hear it is that if we had met five or six years ago, we probably would have not gotten along at all. And that might be an understatement, you know? And, and, and so, so with how, with how well we get along now and, and how much he's kind of helped and, and he's, he's, he's doing our training and he's turned himself into something truly remarkable in those respects too. But then the connection with Sorenex. I've also been the first person to admit that, that I, I, I didn't know if that would work um, simply because I, I'm, I'm aware that we're unusual. I'm aware that we do things differently and I'm aware that there's not always a place for that. But once I started dealing with Alex and then once I started meeting Bert and things like that, it really is just goddamn the same. You know, they want to do a great job at all costs. They want to help people at all costs. Um, they want to be around other good people that want to help anyone they possibly can. Um, and they're pretty intractable in, in those positions. And, and that's really exactly where we are. Um, and, and the other thing is I, I still believe as I probably did the first time I was on the show, um, that the integration of the implements that we use, the application of, of, of details, to optimize position and things like that. It, it has to be the next evolution of things because athletes are so tremendous. And even people that are just training for training sake had made so much progress. But the idea that the human body is truly optimized is absolutely insane. Um, and, and so there's, there's always room to grow. And I believe that, I believe that they, that they hear me loud and clear on that because when I went down there to practice maces with them and, and seeing what Brandon's been able to pull off and others, um, you know, watching uh, Mr. Soren uh, Richard lift and practice with Mace and, and, and be this kind of little kid in excitement about being able to press again and curl again and things like that. Man, I'm not sure if there's bigger satisfaction for me in the entire strength world than, than watching that un unfold. Um, that was a that was a proud fucking moment, man. And and that that's when I knew that I was I was in the right place and anything that had had, you know, gone gone wrong to get me there was was actually right. Well, the. Uh uh, any place that puts physical culture at the forefront uh, usually is the right place to be in. Uh, when when <laughs> yeah. when I'm around when I'm around people or when I'm around places that don't that, that aren't physically cultured and it's not at the forefront, uh, you know, and like we, th this happens all the time too with uh, with people we meet or friends of ours or whatever. Like if if uh, the, if they don't train and they're not into fitness or or lifting weights or banging or there's not some physical culture aspect, uh, they don't they're not very sticky. And I, I think it's because you know when when you're at a situation like that, you know, for like Winter Strong Sornex, um, it's because everybody. I mean, the physical culture that they've created 
it's really just like their their foundation. And when you meet other people that have you know lived that life and that are there, it's it's usually a very easy connection. And uh, you know, and it's nice cool. to be in an environment with those people. I mean, we we deal with it here, you know, with power athlete at our collectives and different things. Like people all kind of come from the, you know, cut from the same cloth and it's easy to have a good time yeah. and be around those people and, you know, and not feel like it's time wasted or there's somewhere better to be. So it's, um, it, it, it is a real pleasure and especially an unusual one in, in this day and age, you know, <laughs> I guess if we could use a talking point for people that may not know too much about any of us is seek that out. That's important. You know, if, 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 if the gym you're going to is, is, you know, too focused on what you're wearing and less focused on what they're doing, find somewhere else, go, go into a place that looks like the equipment has been living underwater for a hundred years. And, <laughs> and then, then you, then you know that you're somewhere that you should stick around a little bit. And if, if there's a, if there's a trainer or a, an athlete or something in there that gives you side eye, when you walk in, walk out. Um, if, if, if you, if you walk in there on crutches uh, with an eye patch, and someone doesn't welcome you and say that they can help you, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, no, it's uh dude, I feel like we could wrap all day, but yes, I do, I do know we gotta wrap it up because I'm sure we got everything. Thank but you. dude, it was uh amazing as always to connect with you and uh yeah, man. Thank you know you guys. And, and just just uh chop it up. So yeah, um, Greg, we got a series Masters of Movement and at Summer Strong. Thank I you. want you to yeah. coach me up. So yeah. then, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe maybe we can suck him out here and uh, maybe come Ooh. out and hang out and uh, yeah, come down to Austin, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, either both. I've wanted to do that since we talked even prior to that when you were moving down there at the very beginning. You know, when 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 you still had your romantic plan about it all and it hadn't unfolded yet, I remember being like, "Damn, man, that is the best idea I've ever heard." If you if know? you came out here, you'd see it. You'd be like, "Man, this is cool." Like, uh, it, it's exactly what we talked about all those years ago. Like, we built it. Like, it. we're you know, here's the office, the podcast. I mean, awesome. this is, Look at that you know, place. and the building and and uh, you know, the property. Uh, the only negative is um, if I had known that Austin was going to grow this fast, we we would have moved farther out. So at the time when we moved here, I thought we were living in the country and then they built like 1800 homes in our backyard and we don't live in the, we live in the suburbs now. Like we went from the country to the burbs real quick. It was about two years we lived in the country. We've been in the burbs for the last three. I actually thought about that very particular thing a while ago, like a year and a half ago when everyone started evacuating California and, and moving out. And I was like, I wonder how that's all going to get to them. I wonder how close <laughs> it's going to get. Fuck. Um, but yeah, I mean, th yeah, th thank you guys so much. Can't wait to circulate this. I mean, we covered a lot of cool ground and a lot of different ground. And uh, man, I'm super appreciative. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks, Greg. Thanks for tuning in. And I accept, I accept in Austin, in, in, in Sorenex, we, we'll do it. I can't wait. Awesome. Can't wait. Look forward to it. Well, good. Thanks, okay. guys, for tuning in another episode of Power Up Video. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Greg Walsh on Instagram at Wolf Brigade Gym. Until next time, bye!